Philadelphia seems to have found their franchise goaltender in the form of Carter Hart, but in order to stay competitive with their aging core, they need their young forwards and blue liners to step up big time. Their rivals in Pittsburgh have some young forward and rear guards with promise, but team defense and age remain a big concern. Meantime, San Jose has an aging core and a lot of question marks between the pipes. How do their pools stack up? Episode 219 of the Lace Mill Podcast starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tuboff. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Uh, just a disclaimer before we carry on. Uh, originally, our final episode was going to be Vegas, Vancouver, Washington, and Winnipeg. We are going to split that episode up. So our second last episode after next week is going to be Vancouver and Vegas. And then our final one is going to be Washington and Winnipeg. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about Philly, Pittsburgh, and San Jose, Brett. Yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting for sure for us here. Um, yeah, uh, all right, let's start things off, though. Yeah, I mean, we, we started to realize that after, like, the second straight two-hour episode, we decided that it's probably a good idea we don't to not add more teams and more prospects. Yeah. So yeah, and we, and we don't want to shortchange way. anybody by yeah. racing through a team, so exactly. we want to take our time. And um, it, it kind of worked out well that all the Vancouver and Vegas are the only two V teams, and uh, the the Washington and Winnipeg are the only W teams, so it just worked out that way. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is, so we have Philly, Pittsburgh, and St. Louis uh, this week. San Jose. What, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, Philly, Pittsburgh, San Jose. And then next week we have St. Louis, Tampa, and Toronto. And that's mm-hmm. our last time we're covering three teams. Um, so, yep. yeah, we're going to start off with Philadelphia. Um, and we're going to start off with the cap-friendly page of the Philadelphia Flyers here. Uh, so... In terms of UFAs, uh, there's Nate Thompson, uh, Tyler Pitlick, uh, Derek Grant, uh, Justin Braun, and Brian Elliott are all UFAs. Um, Steve, you, you have some, like, static on your end for some reason. Okay, never mind. Oh, okay. I don't know. Okay, there we go. Um, and then RFAs, we have... Uh, uh, Nicholas Abi Kubel, who had like he had a decent run in, at the end there, um, and then you had Robert Haig, Philip uh, Myers are also going to be RFAs this summer as well. Um, so yeah, uh, it's not too bad for them cap wise. Of course, uh, Steve is very critical of the Kevin Hayes deal that happened last summer. Um, I beg to differ. We argue about this every now and then, uh, where I think that he, you know, he does more than just offense. Steve thinks that he should be producing more uh, than what he's been doing, which I guess is a fair 
thing. If you're going to be paid $7 million, you should be make, you're doing more than that. But um, at the same time, I compare it to like a David Krejci type thing. He makes a lot of money, but uh, he does other things other than just offense. So, anyways, our first prospect is going to be uh, Morgan Frost. Um, and he played, he actually played a decent amount, um, in Philly this year, uh, where he, in 20 games, he had seven points, uh, two of those were goals. And then, uh, and then he, but he played most of his games at Lehigh Valley Phantoms, which is a pretty cool name, actually. One of the more underrated names, I feel, uh, where he, uh, he had 29 points in 41 games. Um, he's most notable though for his, uh, season last, the last two years for the Sioux Greyhounds, um, and his, uh, world juniors performance, uh, last year as well, where, uh, in his world juniors performance, he had eight points in five games for those were goals for who were assist, which isn't bad, obviously. And then, uh, and then he, uh, for the Sioux Greyhounds that year, he had 109 points for 58 games. And then the year before that, he had 112 points in 67 games, um, which is much different than what he was, um, in the 2016, 2017 season. So that's three years ago, uh, where he had 62 points in 67 games. And that was his draft year. Um, he was pick, He was the 12, 27th overall pick in 2017, um, and then I think like he had a bit more hype to him because after that he started to actually take off on the Sioux Grand. So now it's, we kind of had like a um, an interesting fact where you're like, oh, this guy may actually be better than we all thought he was going to be. Um, so so yeah. It, um, I think in terms of where he's going to fit in the Flyers uniform in the future, I would say that, you know, the Flyers have the luxury of having a lot of good wingers, like they have Claude Giroux, Jacob Vorchek, uh, Travis Konechny, of course, um, and then you have good centers with Sean Couturier, um, and I guess not really many other centers out there. Um, so, so they, oh, and Kevin Hayes. Um, as I just mentioned, so the uh, so their like their top six are pretty much set in that regard. So it might be tough for Morgan Frost to actually fit in, but like at the same time, like guys like JVR James Van Riemsdyk, he has been struggling um, as of late. Um, I'm sure that he could be moved down maybe in the lineup or. Um, even Jacob Voracek has been struggling a bit. Um, so, you know, and not to mention, like, in terms of their depth in forwards, they're, they're not great. Um, I mean, sure, Scott Lawton and Nicholas Abi Kubel have been good um, as depth pieces, but it's still, like, what else do they have? Like, I'm looking here, Michael Raffle, uh, Nate Thompson, who I didn't even realize was on the Flyers. Uh, Tyler Pitlick, who's also going to be a UFA too. So um, there's definitely opportunity for Morgan Frost to um, make a name for himself in the Flyers lineup. I just don't know if it's going to be this year, though, or in 2020-2021 in season.
Yeah, tough to say, but um, there, there's definitely upside to his game um, just by looking at his OHL stats and, and how he ranked um, across the rest of the league. In his rookie season, it, it was pretty respectable. Um, seven goals on 69 shots, a pretty decent shooting percentage of 10.1. So um, you kind of uh, liked what he brought there, and he also took 488 face-offs, so he was starting to get his work in in terms of winning draws and all that stuff. Uh, then you get to his second year where he has a 20-goal season, close to a point per game. His shooting percentage goes up to 14. Um, he has 22 power play points as well. At this point, he's taken 880 face-offs in year two, um, starting to get a little bit better at winning a lot of those. Then you get to year three, where he has 112 points, 42 goals, 201 shots, uh, continues to be a power play threat. And then he is also one of the league's best at taking faceoffs, one of the most reliable, with over 1,300 faceoffs, faceoff wins. Year four, he has another 100-point season. This time he plays in nine fewer games. He plays 58, gets 109 points, um, has 72 assists, so another 70-assist season for him. Uh, again, 1,300-plus face-offs, over 680 wins. He has 684 in year four. Uh, and in the AHL, before he gets uh, called up uh, for his first taste of the big leagues, he was also doing uh, pretty well. Um, so all things considered, I definitely think there is a lot of room for Morgan Frost to go and he has what it takes. Um, a lot of his teammates, his coaches have a lot of good things to say. Uh, for instance, uh, his AHL coach, Scott Gordon, um, called Morgan the most skilled player on the Phantoms this year. No comparison whatsoever. The most skilled player that he's had, um, with the Lehigh Valley organization since he's been here. And he says, yeah, there have been good players, but in terms of skill level, Morgan is on a different pedal still. Plays that he makes the vision that he has into none. Um, and he thinks he's going to learn as a player, what makes a good two-way player. Continuously working on that 200-foot game, um, you're going to see a better and better version of Morgan Frost, and there's a lot to learn from his first AHL season, his first taste of NHL hockey, and it's only going to get better from here. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, the other thing to note before we get going is that Morgan Frost is, um, he has 13 minutes of ice time um, in those 20 games this year, so... I think it, like, it is a good sign that he did well at, at Lehigh, but at the same time, it's going to be, um, you know, just in terms of making room for him in the pros, he, he has to, like, um, he has to be really, really good. And I guess they, the Flyers are in the fortunate position that they don't have to rush him up there. Um, and much like a bunch of these guys that we're going to be talking about, that they don't have to rush any of these guys because the Flyers are, are in a good spot, relatively speaking. Um, so they could, um, they don't necessarily have to rush him in there. Um, and that could, that could work out for them for sure. 
The other thing I will note about Morgan Frost is his power play time because, yeah, you're right, Brett, his average time on ice per game hasn't gone over 14 minutes on the season over the 20 games that he played. Um, And, yeah, he did go through a scoring slump. The good news for Morgan Frost is they trust him on the power play already. He's averaging 216 on the power play every game so far that he's played. Um, And he's also played with some top six talent. He played on a line with Giroux and Konechny. Line that features and Reemsteik. Um, also spent time with Jacob Voracek. And uh, in the second quarter of the season, he had seven points in 18 games, one pointless in his uh, final two. And at that point, he was he was uh, sent down uh, back to Lehigh Valley. Um, so if he continues to play with the top six talent, he will continue to get better. The chances will uh, continue to go up for him. And he, and to his credit, in terms of face-off success, he has 44 face-off wins to his name, and his face-off percentage is 47.3%, which for a rookie isn't too bad. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so now we talk to another rookie. Now talk about another rookie uh, who came into the league uh, this year. Um, and he was the 14 overall pick in the 2018 draft. Um, and this is, uh, of course, I'm talking about Joel Faraby, uh, New York native, mm-hmm. in fact. But he did play at BU uh, the year before, or the year after he got drafted. Um, yeah, he's got, he's got absolutely no allegiance to any market. No, 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 for sure. Uh, he play. He plays in Boston. He's from New York. He's a Philadelphia Flyer. Right. I know. I actually remember. I thought. I mean, I knew the boss, the Bruins weren't in a position to even draft him back then. But I was looking forward when I read all his scouting reports. Like it, it seems like he was a two way forward and he hits a lot. And I was like, oh, this guy is going to be like this fits the mold of a Bruins player. Um, I was wondering who gets him, and it turns out it was the Flyers who got him. Um, so it kind of fits yeah. their identity as well. Um, anyways, uh, he had, during that uh, his draft year, he had 76 points in 62 games. Uh, 33 of those were, were goals. Um, and then he played, um, I guess he played in the, the uh, World Juniors that year too, but it's the under-18s. Um, where he had eight points in seven games, so that's worth noting. Um, then the next year, he was a bit, I mean, he had 36 points in 37 games uh, for the Boston University Terriers. And this was, like, as we talked about with uh, David Ferentz and Trevor Zegras, um, you know, Boston University, sure, they get these uh, top, top prospects, but BU in general hasn't been good in college hockey for a while now. Um, and, um, so, so like getting like almost a point per game on a bad BU team is, is pretty good there. Um, including the fact that he went to, um, the world juniors, the under twenties that year. Um, and he had five points in seven games. So that, that speaks well to him for sure. Uh, this year he, uh, he played 52 games at, uh, uh, in Philadelphia, which I thought, I didn't realize, I knew he was called up, but I didn't realize he had played 52 games, or at least 50 games out there. Uh, so that's kind of surprising. But then when I was looking at his stats, I was like, 
Oh, of course. He only is playing like 14 minutes of ice time. But still, even still considering like he had 21 points in those games of 52. So that's like almost a half points per game. Um, and so that's, that's actually pretty good um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and then, um, and then uh, he also, I guess he started playing some games at Lehigh Valley. I'm not sure exactly when these five games were, but he had four points there in five games. So maybe it was one of those things like he was just too good to be in the AHL, but um, just not like wasn't ready exactly to be in the NHL. So maybe it's like one of those situations, but um, yeah, I would like to, I wonder why they gave him more time with the Philadelphia Flyers considering that uh, they didn't do the same for Morgan Frost and Morgan Frost is older and has, I guess, a higher upside too. Um, but I guess they, um, they, you know, you're kind of like ruining his development that way. Um, so I do wonder why they decided to do that. Um, also to of note is Joel Farabee is another left winger. Um, and it's like the, the Flyers have, uh, Konechny, Van Riemsdyk, and, um, and someone else who's a left winger. Oh no, I guess Voracek's not a left winger. Never mind. Um, Claude Giroux plays left wing now, doesn't he? I think so. Anyways, I'm... Uh, yeah, Claude Giroux uh, can play center, but he also uh, plays left wing. Yeah, but um, just taking right. a look at um, the, the options um, um, that the Flyers have on left wing, Giroux is definitely one of them. Um, let's see. I actually, I actually have the amount of guys... That play left wing on the Flyers here. Oh, I have, uh, Drew, I have it here too. James Van, yeah, Drew, James Van Riemsdyk, Scott Lawton, Michael Rappel, Oscar Lindblom, Chris Stewart. Yeah, Oscar Lindblom's another one that we hadn't really talked about, but yeah. Um, so they they're kind of stacked on the left wing side. Um, so I wonder what they're gonna do in that regard. Um, I mean, James Van Riemsdyk hasn't been what uh, what we're used to for a while, or he's regressed lately, but um, Claude Giroux's been one of their better players the last like quarter, a half century, basically. Um, even more than that now. So, um, so yeah, I wonder how they're going to do that. I guess the best option is to just have Joel Farabee to replace James Reemsdyke or something like that, but um, yeah, it, it, it would be something to look out for, for sure. So, uh, what do you have on Faraby? Yeah, perhaps alternating with JBR on the on the second line, or maybe yeah, something like splits that. half and half on the second line and the third line, and then when JBR's contract is up, he can be uh, their full time option on the on the second line as a left winger. But Wait, we'll see. is Morgan Frost? Oh, no, Morgan Frost is a center. Okay, never mind. Morgan Frost is a center. Yes, yeah, yeah. I got. That. I messed that up. Okay, sorry. Keep on going about Joel Faraby. What is interesting about Fairby, you mentioned about centers, and specifically two-way centers like uh, Sean Couturier. Um, he, uh, Fairby is being described as a dangerous two-way forward that uses his legs and his IQ to make something happen. That kind of reminds me a bit of Sean Couturier. And um, 
I also noticed, and I knock his contract all the time. I still question why it's worth seven million. But part of the reason why they gave that money to Kevin Hayes is because of his two-way abilities, yeah. and that is how the Flyers are going to be a successful team. It's why they've been a more successful team this year is because, yeah, they can score, but they're trying to improve on their two-way game, and it's led to fewer goals against, more goals for, a better goals for differential, and more wins on the board. At the time of the season stoppage, as a matter of fact, they were one point behind Washington for uh, a tie for the Metro Division lead. So there's no doubt that the Flyers are a better team because of their two-way style. Um, and Joel Farabee could make them a much better team uh, when he gets here. Um, he spent time with the U.S. National Development Program uh, to start off, um, actually served as team captain for the U18 team and uh, posted good results there. Um, he's also had experience at uh, World Juniors. He had a silver medal in 2019 to assist in seven games there. I mentioned his time as captain of the U18s. He had 33 goals and 43 assists that year. Um, and in the USHL uh, against USHL competition, he had 40 points in 26 games there. Uh, bringing us to his so far only NCAA season to date, um, he scored 17 goals and 19 assists in 37 games, 131 shots on goal. That's an average 3.54 shots per game. The Flyers love to get pucks on net, and this guy definitely helps with that. He had five power play goals but also five game wins so he can score big goals too. Um, and he actually had three, four game point streaks uh, NCAA season two. So uh, he can get points in bunches, uh, not just here and there. Um, so well, when you, when you put up numbers like that, obviously you get recognized a little bit, which he, which he did. Uh, he got uh, the national rookie of the year, um, which is awarded to the best player, um, the fe the best first year player, I should say, NCAA hockey. Which is that um, in his brief time in the AHL this year, he had three goals and one assist over five games, averaged two point six shots per game there. Um, played a meaningful amount of hockey as well as an NHLer, uh, fifty two games, eight goals on ninety one shots, uh, and he's played a fair bit. Uh, with some good line mates. Um, he played with Kevin Hayes a little bit. He played with Claude Giroux and James Van Riemsdyk as well. Um, so that's very reassuring. Like Morgan Frost, that Joel Farabee run out of the gate is getting time with top six talent. If that happens, uh, the better his numbers will be. I definitely think in terms of left wingers, he... He has the most potential. There is some with Isaac Ratcliffe. Matthew Strom, it's kind of a wait and see. I right. don't think he has the kind of height that Dylan Strom had or even Ryan Strom had when uh, he entered the league. Yeah. Um, but uh, you could see Farabee as the number one option uh, as Drew's career winds down even. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I could see that happening for sure. Um, okay, so the next guy we're going to talk about is Cam York. Um, and he's another U.S. national team player, but this was the next year. So he was the 2019 pick, and he went 14th overall for the Flyers. Um, and 
Um, so, yeah, so the U.S. national team, uh, with the one that had, like, you know, Jack Hughes, Trevor Zegers, a bunch of other guys who I'm blanking on right now, um, Cole Caulfield, uh, he had 65 points in 63 games, which is um, absurd when you think about the fact that he's a defenseman, but of course you also have to take into account that like his forwards were also really, really good too. But um, so that that showed very well that I think I remember reading that the reason why he even went 14th overall or why he was a top draft pick is people were not sure how he was going to do when he didn't have that many good forwards on his team. Um, in the grand scheme of things. So, insert, he go, he plays for Michigan this year, U of Michigan, um, and he gets 16 points in 30 games, uh, which isn't bad, of course, um, but, you know, it's not like, what, 65 points in 63 games. Um, so, it turns out, like, he he could be a, uh, a good defenseman eventually, but it, it might take some time to actually get used to. Uh, he also played in the World Juniors and didn't score at all in those five five games. I remember, I don't think USA did that well this year, which is kind of surprising. But, um, yeah, so uh, I guess uh, from the scouting reports is that he uh, he's very mobile. He has a good passing game and a quick release. Um, and defensively, he is solid with an active stick and strong positioning. So, um so he, uh, he's like a good two-way guy for them. Uh, the issue, though, with Cam York is, is not that um, is not necessarily that he uh, is like if he can make it or not because uh, he definitely has some skill just based off of those two years that I just described. But the fact that um, he's a left-handed defenseman, and that's going to be an issue for him. So... I thought maybe there was a chance that he was a right-handed defenseman, and I went to look to see if Provorov or Ghost Bear, what what hand positions they were, and it turns out that both Provorov and Ghost Bear are both left-handed defensemen, as yep. well as Travis Sanheim, who's like their third best defenseman. Um, so uh, Cam York's also a left-handed defenseman. So that could become an issue. I think Sanheim. I'm pretty sure Sanheim. Should- I'm pretty sure Sanheim though is right-handed though. Oh, okay. Well, that's uh, oh yeah, that's that's weird. So in cap friendly, they say that Sanheim's a right-handed, but on even even still though, daily even still daily that's face that's off, pretty they say it's left-handed. Tough company for Cam York. He has to beat out yeah. Ghost Bear and Provorov. Yeah, but on on daily face-off, they say left-handed. So I don't know, uh, but yeah, you're right. Okay. Even even still, like Provorov and Ghost Bear are going to be in the way for him. Um, however, like Ghost Bear didn't have as good of a season this year for some reason. Um, he was injured, but um, I, I'm expecting that he'll have a bounce back season next year. Uh, but even still, he's going. He has. He's not. He, Ghost Bear is going to be on the team for three more years, um, and Provorov's going to be on the team for five more years. Um, and usually, I mean, yeah, it's true that, like, a defense, like, you can have more than one good defenseman on a team. bunch of teams have it, like uh, Eric Carlson and Brent Burns are a good example. Uh, even Klingberg and Miro Heiskanen are another good example. McAvoy and Tori Krug are another example. 
but I could go on and on. But like just the like just the fact that you also have to juggle around like th having three good defensemen who could be like offensively minded um, might be a challenge for uh, for Cam York in terms of getting ice time. Um, so that would be my one main concern. But I guess the good news is is that he's going to be in college. I believe he's going to be in college again next year too so he can take his time um and wait um until you know and he can even go till to lehigh maybe next year and wait out some you know some of these defensemen and see what if gospel is actually going to regress or not um and maybe like try to figure that out but um you know he has time to uh figure it out considering that they also have pretty good defensemen um, on the left-handed side. Yeah, so the thing about Cam York, and, and you mentioned Travis Sanheim, Brett, and, and it might show that he's a left-handed defenseman on daily face-off. The thing is, daily face-off takes into account game-by-game -game lineups. Right. As in, the last game that was uh, that was played, which, as we know, was several months ago because of you-know-what. Right. Um, at that time, Samuel Moran was, uh, like most of the year, hurt. And yeah. he is a left-handed defenseman. So, obviously, they seem to do a little bit of line juggling and they put Sanheim on the left side. But naturally, I believe Sanheim is a right-handed shot. In terms of left-handed defensemen, the Flyers are stacked. You're right. There is Provrov. There's Shane Gostisbehar. There's Robert Hag as well. Um, so they definitely have a lot of depth on the left side and don't need to bring in Cam York just yet simply because they don't need to. They're fine. Um, the thing I will say about Shane Gostisbehere is as good as he's been, he hasn't been as good as he was to start off his career the past couple of years. Uh, in the past two off seasons, um, there was a bit of action on the rumor mill that maybe Philly was shopping him. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if Cam York is ready that they might actually pull the trigger on a Shane Goss fair deal. We don't know. We'll see. But it wouldn't surprise me if that happens. So at best in the future, he could be a complimentary pairing to Ivan Provorov because Ivan Provorov has shown already that he can be one of the game's best defenders. He was top 10 in average time on ice last year or this year, maybe both. Um, but he's definitely shown that he can log those minutes. He can also put up the points too. Um, just working on that all-around game like Cam York is is going to be um, the next step. And you're right, you know, 16 points in three games in Michigan is pretty good. Um, his hockey sense is great. Um, reads the defensive zone very well. He can he can anticipate plays before they happen, which you gotta like in a defenseman. Um, especially an all-rounded defenseman that can do all the little things right. That's very good. Um, you do make a good point about his international stats. The U.S. didn't do well at this year's World Juniors, and his play uh, kind of reflected that. However, uh, at the 2018-19 U18s, he had four goals and 11 points, which was good enough, more than enough, to lead all blue liners in that tournament. I'm pretty sure Jack Hughes took part in that tournament, so to your argument, he had some good 
pieces to work with, and the U.S. didn't have Jack Hughes at the World Juniors this year, but they still had the guys like Nick Robertson and Arthur Calia and Shane Pinto, who had a good World Junior, so they still had some decent pieces for Cam York to work with. I will also mention that Cam York averaged 2.07 shots per game in the NCAA, which as a rookie is pretty good. Two of his five goals were also power play markers, so he was able to have a little taste of special team success there. And from uh, January 11th to February 17th, he picked up at least a point in six of nine games. Also chipped in with 54 block shots on the season. Um, So I, I definitely think there is plenty of untapped potential for him um i think for the most part the prospect pool is pretty bare on the left side partially because it's so good at the nhl level right. with the uh, prop rob and ghost bear um there are some guys like tyler weatherspoon uh, igor zamula who we will talk about later um sam Moran, if he's healthy could be a, a useful piece um, but I think the upside is much greater for Cam York. Uh, and I think he's uh, going to flourish. It's only going to be a matter of time as he gets better. I will want, I would like to give, if I might, uh, an honorable mention to Wyatt Wiley, who is a right-handed shot. Um, very good year with Everett uh, last year and this year. He had over 60 points this year. Could be a wildcard prospect for them but uh we'll see how things uh, shape up on the right side in the next few years and like york he'll probably spend a year or two in the ahl before he's ready for the big leagues but uh there could be some upside with him too even though he plays on the opposite side yeah uh that's a that's a good option too the flyers have a lot of good prospects too but they also have a luxury unlike the rangers and the senators who we talked about last week is they also have a, like a pretty good team on the forefront too, so it's like there's going to be a logjam in a lot of different positions for sure. Um, and they also have Carter Hart too. And Carter Hart and Nolan Patrick, who we haven't even talked about too. Um, yeah, the, the the thing with Patrick though is injuries, and yeah. I think that's well documented. True, but like you know, I I still have faith that he could um, make a mm-hmm. get a bounce back, but maybe he does, he. It might not be on the Flyers, considering that there is a logjam everywhere. Um, yeah. So the next guy we're going to talk about is Bobby Brink. Um, he has probably the coolest name. That's the other thing about the Flyers, is they have really cool names, too. Uh, Morgan yeah. Frost, Cam York is a cool name. Yegor Zamula, Carter Hart, Kata Hart, um, and now Bobby Brink. So that's also pretty cool. Uh, but... This was another guy uh, who I, I thought the Bruins should take at um, at that 2019 uh, spot, uh, the 31st, the 30th pick, but uh, they didn't opt to do that. Uh, instead, the Flyers took him a couple of picks later, uh, 34th overall in the second round. Um, and uh, he, he played a little bit on the U.S. national team. Uh, six points in five games for them. Um, and then he also played in the USHL uh, that year that he was drafted. He had 68 points in 43 games. Um, I guess I'm just reading some uh, scouting reports. A big reason why he fell so far uh, was because, well, first off, the USHL 
like the level of competition isn't as strong usually. Um, so that's one deal. And apparently, just according to Skyrim reports, his skating's not great, um, and his hockey sense, um, uh, and and it's just his physicality needs some work. But like he, uh, his hockey sense actually is impressive according to this, and he's a gifted playmaker, and can find the back of the net too. So, um, so it, it turns out that he is actually a good player uh, because he went to the University of Denver, which was like one of the top teams in college this year, um, and he had twenty four points in twenty eight games. Eleven of those were goals. Um, and he also played a bit in the World Juniors, much like Cam York did. Uh, but he had two points in five games there. So, um, yeah, I, I would imagine Bobby Brinks is going to take a couple more years uh, to see him actually succeed. But um, he is, you know, it is pretty good that he, has, he had almost a point per game his freshman year and was able to make at least some impact in those five games for Team USA. So um, I think he, uh, as long as he keeps on improving, um, I think he could be a strong player. It's just we, we might not see him um, in the league in three years. We'll probably see him maybe in five years. Yeah, and again, the Flyers have enough pieces where yeah. they can tell Bobby to take all the time he needs because they're not going to need him anytime yeah. soon. He can just develop properly. Um, you mentioned the skating I mean, they're skating coaches, Brett. Like, it's not as challenging as one might think to get better at skating, just like it yeah. might not be as big of a challenge to get better at your shot or right. working on face-offs. You know, with, with time and practice and expert advice, um, his skating will probably get better, just like his shooting will get better and his passing will get better. The offensive skills, that that's something you can't just acquire over a certain period of time. If you're a gifted playmaker that can find the back of the net, if you have a great overall compete level, that's just going to give you that extra edge that makes you better than everyone else that is just as talented as you. So that gives me reason to hope that Bobby Brink could be a very – reliable NHL player and a very lethal one at that uh, size is a concern. Uh, he comes in exactly. at 159 pounds and five foot eight. So not the biggest guy, not the strongest guy. So you'll need to bulk up a little bit on muscle, but every player has to, every player will as they get older. Um, so I'm not so worried about those areas of improvement because uh, in due time, they're probably going to get better anyway. Um, and oddly enough, you're, you're right, Brett. Um, he didn't go the Jack Hughes route or the Trevor Zegers route or the Alex Turcotte route. Um, he opted to play with uh, the USHL with the Sioux City uh, Musketeers. Um, and he did pretty well in his uh, first full year. He had 35 goals and 68 points in 43 games. That was his draft year. Uh, second in goals and fourth in scoring across the league there. Um, and uh, at the U18s with uh, Team USA that same year, he had three goals and three assists for uh, six points in six games. Um, and then he had two goals and six assists in six games at uh, the U19s. 
Um, so internationally, he uh, did pretty well in his draft year too, which I think kind of bolstered his stock uh, as an early to mid second round pick. Um, taking a look at his NCAA stats, he averaged 2.75 shots per game at the University of Denver. Um, he got a point in five of his first seven NCAA games. Um, overall, he had five multi-point games as a first-year player. Uh, the most he compiled in a single game was three, which came at Western Michigan's expense. Uh, in that same game, he got his only multi-goal game of the year. Um, I think overall, Bobby Brink, once he gets rolling, is going to be a very promising talent. And assuming he stays for another year at the University of Denver, I really think you're going to see a better version of him once hockey gets uh, back underway. And on the right side, similar to the left side, in terms of prospects, there aren't too many prospects that really stick out. Maybe David Kasha or Linus Sandin. There's also Shusko um, in, in Brink's way, but I think the upside uh, is once again in Brink's favor there. And... On uh, the left wing, there's guys like Travis Konechny, Jacob Voracek, uh, maybe Nolan Patrick that could be ahead of him on the depth chart. But I think in due time, um, as yeah. Voracek winds down, uh, you could see Bobby Brink on the second or third line for Philadelphia. And uh, it all depends on how he develops over the next five years, obviously. I do think the potential is there for him to make something out of this NHL journey and uh, assuming he continues to improve, I definitely think it's possible. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't expect to see Bobby Brink until maybe three years from now. And uh, just yeah, look, maybe four or five, yeah, but maybe four or five yeah. uh, as a regular, but like if we look at that and, and if we go by that, so in the 2023 season, 2023-2024 season, there are only three flyer forwards that are locked up that are still on this team, are still on this current contract that they have right now. And that's uh, Jacob Warcheck, Kevin Hayes, and Travis Konechny. So, um, and, 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 and Voracek's on his last uh, would be a UFA that following year. So... Um, so yeah, there's definitely room for Bobby Brink um, in terms of depth charts. It's just it's hard to project what the roster is going to look like in in three years, or even four years, um, because we'll probably see him um, when that that time comes, but not necessarily right now. Yeah. Um, and the last guy we're going to talk about right now is another left-handed defenseman, <laughs> um, which is kind of funny, but. He kind of has earned his way to be uh, noticed um, because uh, for the Calgary Hitman, he had 28 points in 28 games. Oh, by the way, this is Yegor Samula. Um, so he played in the WHL, uh, the Calgary Hitman, um, where he had 28 games in 28 points. Um, sorry, 28 points in 28 games. I say, I'm going to say that all the time now. Um, and then... <laughs> He played for Team Russia uh, in the World Juniors this year where he had five points in seven games, um, which is pretty good for Team Russia, um, obviously. Um, and then the year before that, uh, for the Calgary Hitman, he had uh, 56 points in 61 games. So 
And keep in mind, this is all like while he's a defenseman, um, and he's like a 20-year-old player, so or he's 20 years old. So odds are pretty good that he's going to be pretty good. Um, I guess he's like a physical player, or I've just been reading stuff that um, he is. Um, he's like athletically raw. However, he could be going places, according to Dauber. Um, so, um, so this could be, and he was also a, um, he was just signed by the, the Flyers. He wasn't even drafted by any NHL team. So that's, that's kind of an, another interesting wrinkle into his story. He's also 6'3", which is pretty tall. So, and big. So I think, um, he could be pretty good, but again, just like Cam York, he's a left-handed defenseman and it's going to be tough to even project out where, uh, he's going to fit in the lineup um, because they are um, on a heavy load on that on that side. Yeah, um, I don't know if uh, Philly um, signed him for his offensive upside or yeah. for his size because um, it says uh, on Cap Friendly that he signed his contract in September of 2018. So that was before he really went off at his big season yeah. in the WHL last year and then uh, averaged a point per game this year. Um, but he comes in at six foot three, weighs 177 pounds. Uh, Philly's got a, a lot of pretty tall defensemen. There are a few guys that are six foot one. There are others that are six foot two. Sandheim is the tallest active guy at six foot three. Actually, Philip Myers is at six foot five. Uh, when healthy, Sam Moran comes in at six seven, uh, wow. or near six foot seven. He's six foot six right now. Um, so six foot three, he's already one of the tallest, uh, uh, defensemen on the roster. So, um, definitely his size helps him out here. Um, but there is a bit of promise. Um, he had 30 power play assists in the WHL in 2018, 19. That was, uh, first on the Calgary Hitman and, uh, also ended up being, uh, the most uh the fourth most rather league wide um he led all hitman defensemen in points and ranked six on the overall roster in points fairly respectable shooting percentage defenseman you don't expect it to be that high only had 130 shots and scored 10 times uh four on the power play um so all things considered uh, a pretty good season for him you get to this year where he really takes it up a notch um he has 12 power play points. Uh, you mentioned uh, 28 and 28, seven of which were goals. Uh, only 74 shots, so that's a 9.4 shooting percentage, uh, which was better than uh, his monster season last year. Uh, when you consider, again, that he only appeared in 28 games, he, you're probably looking at a guy that's top five in power play assists, top 10 in defensive points, uh, if the workload is much greater. And... Um, even at the season's conclusion, he was still the second highest scoring defenseman on the Hitman, and there were a lot of other defenders that played more games than he did. Uh, and you look at his World Junior stats, uh, and you think, okay, that's pretty impressive too. Uh, but I'm not mistaken, he was also uh, given, yeah, he was given top three player honors on Team Russia, and he won the silver for his efforts in that tournament. So, um for a guy that's freshly turned 20 back in March, um, there's definitely a little bit to be um, 
there's definitely a little bit to be optimistic about. But again, the fact that um, he's a left-handed shot and the fact that he has to go up against guys like Provorov and Ghost Bear and Cam York on top of that, uh, his journey to the NHL is going to be that much more tougher. Uh, but uh, it'll be interesting to see um, how he develops. He'll probably spend the next year or two or three in Lehigh Valley developing his craft, and at that point we'll see what he's got. But uh, for right now, there's there's a bit of promise there. I can, I can see him making uh, the big leagues. Uh, I also think uh, how Samuel Morin's career turns out uh, might also factor into how big of a role or – or even why he doesn't even have a role in this team. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's it's a work in progress uh, for this kid, but um, I can see a scenario where he makes it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then lastly, before we go on to Pittsburgh, I mean, I, I didn't have him on the, our list, Steve, so I don't expect you to know, but um, I remember, if you remember the 2018 draft recap, I had talked about Jay O'Brien. Um, yep. and, uh, I just wanted to give a little bit of an update on him because I thought he was going to be really good in college. Um, he played for Providence cause he played for Thayer Academy, which is a school nearby me. Um, and I saw that he had like 80 points in 30 games in high school. And I was like, Oh, like if he can like do something that's close to that in college, he's going to be like a big time pro and. I was excited to see it because he's like a hometown boy for us or something like that. Um, he had a pretty dis- disappointing season at Providence um, the year that year um, where he had five points in 25 games. Um, and then he also played for the World Juniors where he had zero points that time. But, but then I just went on Elite Prospects to check him out again. Um, and he played for the uh, – he – played for the pension V's in the BCHL. Um, and he like, he, he played really, really well there uh, where he had 66 oh, yeah, points. The, pen, the, pension V's, yeah. the pension V's. Yeah. And he had 66 points in 46 games, uh, which is really good. Um, and um, I guess it's saying here on elite prospects that he transferred and he's going to be playing at BU next year or in the fall. Um, if there is hockey in the fall, but, um, so, so that, so that could be something that's interesting where he's going to be playing in Boston, um, and maybe he'll, uh, in his home state and maybe it can, uh, spark something out that wasn't evident in, uh, Providence. So just a little bit of an update. I know we've been, (laughs) this is technically a sixth prospect for us, but, um, I, uh, I am keeping note of Jay O'Brien here in this Boston homegrown person here in my mind. <laughs> um, so we'll go with the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, our, our next team and their cap friendly page, uh, as we always do now. Um, they have, they don't have too many UFAs. Um, Connor Sheary, Patrick Marlowe, and uh, Justin Schultz. I imagine Justin Schultz will probably be the only one that they would sign. Maybe Connor Sherry, who knows. Um, as for RFAs, they have Evan Rodriguez, Jared McCann, Anthony Angelo, Sam Lafferty, and, Domin- and Dominic Simone, oh, and uh, UC Ricola, and 
Um, probably the biggest decision that they're going to have to make is Matt Murray and Tristan Jari are both RFAs this year. So uh, that should be interesting for, for them in terms of their goalie situation because uh, both both Murray and Jari had their moments. And, of course, Matt Murray had one back-to-back Stanley Cups but hasn't been as good as um, he had been in the past. But... Um, but then you also have to think about like the Seattle draft that's coming, and they can't, they have to expose one of them. So it's it's going to be interesting to see. Um, maybe that can give us a tell on who, um, it, like whoever signs a longer term contract, that will be the bigger tell of who the pe- Penguins believe more will be the starter, and who's probably going to be in Seattle or something like that. Um, so so that will be the interesting part. Of course, the Penguins are always kind of screwed because they have the luxury of dealing with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Um, so, so um, but like their cap situation is isn't bad compared to other teams in the league, <laughs> the uh, Oilers or the Maple Leafs. Um, I was going to fake cough, but I don't think I should even joke about fake coughing anymore. Um, now in this time. But uh, their prospect pool is not that good, actually, which is kind of um, kind of uh, crazy, but also makes sense because they're you know the the benefits of having Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin is yeah your cap situation stinks, but um, the downside is your prospect pool is never going to be great, anyways. But the good news is that they have. Um, they did get someone who could be decent this year, and that is uh, Samuel Poulin. Um, and he was their first-round draft pick. He went 21st overall um, in the 2019 draft. Um, and he had a decent year this year, actually, uh, for the Sherbrooke Phoenix, which I've never even heard of uh, in the QMGHL. I didn't realize that was a team there. But uh, he had 77 points in 46 games. Uh, 32 goals um, and 45 assists. Um, I guess he didn't even play in the World Juniors, but um, but that's not that bad or a big of a deal in retrospect, really. Um, but uh, yeah, and the year before that, he had 76 points in 67 games. So it, if you think of it this way, where in 46 games, um, he just beat out the record that he had where he had 77 points. And then the year before that, it took him, like, he couldn't even break that, uh, his career high in points. So uh, in 67 games, and he played, he got that in, in less games. So um, that just shows how much growth he's had um, this year for sure. And, um, you know, in terms of, like, as I just mentioned, they have Malkin and Crosby. Um, and Gensel, and they just got Jason Zucker, who they have for a couple more years. Patrick Hornquist is, has his moments, and same with Brandon Tanev. But, um, you know, for the most part, that's been their issue for a, a long time. I guess, yeah, um, is like they need to find wingers for, um, for Crosby and Malkin. Um, and yeah, they have Jason Zucker, they have Hornquist, they also have Jake Gensel, um, but you know they 
they don't really have a ton of depth other than that. Um, I guess Dominic Simone is also another guy too, um, who has uh, some shown some flashes of what he can be and uh, can be a legitimate player in this league. But for the most part, they're kind of weak on the wings, wing side of things. Um, so, um, so I could even see maybe Clean will be in their AHL system. Um, Wilkes Bear Scranton. Um, next year, but I could see them calling them up because it seems like they're in desperate need for a winger. Um, especially when Crosby and Malkin are on the uh, wrong side of 30. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mention uh, how not great uh, Pittsburgh's prospect pool is, and I guess to a point you could um, I guess to a point you could agree because um, in a couple of years, I think some of these guys will be ready for the prime time and this guy could very well be one of them uh in the qmjhl draft in 2017 this guy was taken second overall by sherbrooke and part of the reason why you probably never heard of sherbrooke is they're not known for really uh doing great uh, in the qmjhl they're usually uh in the lottery position uh but in the samuel poulin era they've done pretty well Uh, this is a guy that can play the game smart. Um, he's strong on the puck along the wall, doesn't mind going to the net. Um, he can pass the puck or he can bury it. He can do either pretty well. He can handle the puck at top speed, which if you know anything about Sidney Crosby, you need wingers to keep up with Sidney Crosby, not drag him down. So the fact that he can play uh, very well at top speed definitely helps his chances of getting a top six role. Um, his rookie season, he had 45 points in 55 games, averaged 3.07 shots per game, which again, for a rookie is pretty good. Um, his second year, he posted 253 shots on goal in 67 games, scored 29 times. So again, an average, uh, over three shots per game, 3.77 this time. Uh, he also chipped in with 21 power points, uh, power play points, and eight of them are goals. Uh, year three, he has 208 shots, only plays in 46 games, so that's 21 fewer games uh, than year two. Still gets over 200 shots, um, gets th- 32 goals to set a new career high there. As you mentioned, Brett, he also set a career high in points with 77. So this guy could have been uh, a top scorer. Um, Maybe well, maybe not a top scorer because Lafreniere would still be killing it otherwise. Um, but probably a, a top ten scorer uh, in the league had he played a lot more games, uh, and he had twenty eight power play points in his third year too. Um, so overall, I definitely see the upside with uh, Poulet. Uh, in the twenty nineteen playoffs, he only played ten games and averaged five shots per game in that regard. Uh, pretty impressive, kind of one of those Alex Formanton, uh, Owen Tippett kind of performances where your team doesn't last long, but you're still there near the top of the leaderboard in a certain stack category, even though your team is well out of it four weeks later and you're still being talked about. Um, that, to me, says more than posting the most points in a single playoffs because obviously – you post the most amount of points in the playoffs because your team is around the longest. If you can 
have a monster impact on a team that is out in round one or round two. That really speaks volumes to me because you're showcasing your offensive abilities, even though your team might not be as strong. And I'm I'm sure a lot of people would rather take per, uh, team success or personal success any day of the week. But it, it's something that fascinates me when you go out and you have a performance like that. It, it really grabs my attention uh, when you're able to have that kind of an impact in a short amount of time. It says that he can play left wing and right wing on uh, cap friendly, but um, according to his profile page on the QMJHL's website, he has played left wing while in Sherbrooke. Yeah. Um, so if he goes down that route, uh, there's Jason Zucker and Jay Gensel um, to top on uh, uh, on the actual um, team on the actual depth chart with the the big club, the big penguins. But once, uh, once Zucker's contract ends in three to four years, uh, Poulin could be ready for the big time and maybe they just slot him in. Cause at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good Poulin is. I have a feeling Gensel is going to be Crosby's line mate until Crosby decides to hang him up for yeah. good or, he moves on from Pittsburgh, whichever comes first. So uh, I think he could be a really good second line winger to complement Malkin and Rust, which is pretty good because yeah. the duo of Malkin and Rust already on its own is very good. But if you add Poole in there, that could be one of the best second lines in hockey. Yeah, I, I forgot about Brian Rust for some reason. But yeah, that's another one too that uh, could be worth keeping note of but i i could see like i'm looking at their lineup right now like patrick marlowe is on the left wing side of of Devin e. malkin right now and sherry is on the right side with Sidney crosby of course jake gensel would be on the team now um so uh it's <laughs> you know jake gensel would probably uh, knock off patrick marlowe or something like that but um but still like there is still definitely some room for Poulin somewhere down the line, if, of course, if he's good enough. Um, but it's funny because I'm looking at hockey news and they're saying that they could see him being in the NHL next year. But I, I feel like they could just wait and uh, send him, like, or just wait to see what he does in Wilkes Bear um, Scranton before they rush him into the NHL. But Again, yeah. as, as we were uh, talking about, like they kind of do need some wingers, so maybe they they rush him just to see what he can do right away with with Malkin or Crosby. Um, because he also has a bit of experience on right wing, uh, yeah. maybe they double down and they put him on right wing yeah. as Crosby's linemate. So you have Gensel on the left, Crosby right. down the middle, and Poulin on the right, and there's your first line. Right, or you have Zucker, um, who could be as good as uh, Gensel is. So, um, yeah, they, they definitely have options uh, to play with, which um, e even without Phil Kessel, that's a pretty good luxury to have if you're Pittsburgh. For sure, for sure. I mean, they've had they've been one of the luckiest teams just in terms of getting Crosby and Malkin and Mario Lemieux all those years ago. So, um, they're, yeah. Um, I, I almost thought that uh, they would have lucked out and somehow gotten Lafreniere somehow, but um, it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. 
Um, now that, that that would be just cruel. I, I know. It's either the the Oilers or the Penguins. They just always get the generational talents. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone else is fighting for everything else. Um, all right, uh, we're gonna go with another QMJHL player uh, on a team that I didn't even know existed until now. Um, his name is Nathan Laguerre on, um, I'm going to butcher this. So sorry for anyone, any fan of these, of this team, maybe, uh, who's listening, somehow listening right now. Uh, but he's on the team Bay Como, uh, Drakar, which is like, sounds like a, um, like a spell you make or something like that. Um, I believe, uh, I believe their logo is is either a boat or a pirate ship it's a pirate um ship. but but they they've had uh, some good years i think they actually went uh at least to the final four a couple of seasons uh-huh. ago so they've had okay. some success before all right well okay that's interesting well it looks like they got a pretty good player too um this is a um another 2019 <laughs> pick but this was in the third round um this is nathan laguerre um, he has he has 71 points in 61 games um, this year for the Drakar, which is just a cool nickname, I guess, for a team. It um, sounds very medieval in a way. Yeah, basically, like it's like drag. It's close to dragons. You're like, oh, is that it? Yeah. Um, so, anyways, he had 71 points in 61 games. Um, I guess uh, I'm trying to think. I guess he. Um, he slipped just because he, um, I don't know. He, uh, it, it isn't as it wasn't as impressive as all the other guys. But it seems like if you're getting this guy at th- like because I was just looking at his stats the year before that, um, and he had pretty good stats that year too, where he had 87 points in 68 games. Um, that's not too bad for an 18 year old um, at the time. He's six feet. So it's not like he's short. You can't make that excuse. And I'm reading all these scouting reports. Like he keeps his feet moving, takes large strides, and changes directions pretty well. He never gives up on a play and puts the effort in everything he does on the ice. Um, he's a power forward with a strong shot and a top six scoring upside. So they don't really explain why he slipped that much uh, to the third round. Like maybe I can understand if you go to the second round. But um, it seems like they, the Penguins may have gotten a steal in the third round. Um, and yeah, he kind of fits the same build as Samuel Pulin because he's another winger. Um, it seems like he can only play right wing though, uh, which is fine because he could maybe, um, yeah. he could, I don't, I don't think he'll replace Brian Russ, but, uh, they could, he could probably replace Connor Sherry, um, maybe even Patrick Hornquist or something like that. But, um, yeah, it seems mm-hmm. like he, uh. Um, he could be another good player, and I guess what their strategy is, or as what we're learning so far, is that the Penguins realize that there's a need for these wingers, so they just take, uh, they put darts on the board and try and hope they stick with these wingers because they can build around them, uh, build around both Crosby and Malkin. Yeah, um, and. There's a lot in common, uh, actually, between Nathan Laguerre and uh, Samuel Poulin. Uh, they're both wingers. Um, with Poulin, he is uh, six foot one and weighs 207 pounds. Uh, Lagar is six foot on the nose and weighs 205. So uh, both are pretty big guys. 
Uh, both are from Quebec, and uh, they were also top 10 draft picks in the same QMJHL draft. Oh. I mentioned Poulin went second overall to Sherbrooke. This guy went four picks later to Bay Como in the 2017 draft. So a very highly touted player in his own right. Um, the only difference is he shoots the puck a lot more than Poulin does. Um, I was talking about Poulin shots per game, and that was pretty respectable around um, the high twos, uh, the low threes. Um, Nathan Laguerre is well beyond that. Um, you mentioned 87 points in 68 games in 2018-19. 45 of those points were goals. 14 of those goals were power play goals. And he averaged just under four shots per game. His average shots per game was 3.98 in those 68 games. He played 61 games this year. The shooting percentage goes down and he scores fewer goals, but he records 80 more shots for a total of 351. That's an average of 5.75 shots per game. Mm -hmm. And he still gets 14 power play goals while doing so. Um, so I take back what I said about uh, Poulin playing on the right wing. This guy could probably go with Crosby and Gensel on the top line. Then you've got a guy like Gensel that can score. You've also got this guy that can score, and you have an elite center in Sidney Crosby. Yeah. So um, if he continues um, to produce at that pace, um, I really like uh, what this guy brings, and he doesn't have that much competition in terms of prospects. Um, the fact that Rust and Malkin have so much chemistry, I'm almost, um, that's why I would put him on the top line with Crosby's because I, if I'm Jimmy Rutherford, if I'm Mike Sullivan, I want to keep the tandem of Malkin and Rust as it is. They have and uh, find solutions for uh, the Crosby and Gensel line. And uh, in a couple of years, this guy could be it. Uh, you'll probably spend a year maybe two in uh, Wilkes-Barre Scranton before he's ready for the big time but in a couple of years he could be a promising top six forward for them yeah I could see that happening I didn't know that about the shooting stuff so that's interesting here um so you could be uh, yeah again that's that's where the league stats come in handy because uh, they really break down the power play goals the shots on goal they don't go into ice time um, or what line mates he played with like the NHL does, but uh, you do get a bigger picture than you would on like the standard elite prospects page. It, right. um, if you want to go more in depth, uh, the league sites are very good for that. Yeah. Um, especially, especially when it comes down to finding out which guys are suitable for which lines, uh, which, Lagar is pretty suitable for a top six role because he shoots the puck and he scores. Yeah. Uh, the next guy is another winger we're going to talk about, um, but he wasn't drafted in the 2019 draft. It was in the 2018 draft. Uh, he was a second round pick. Um, oh, I guess that's the other thing about the Penguins is they don't they always trade their first round pick, um, but I guess uh, they didn't last year because uh, Samuel Poulin was. Um, was a first round pick, but uh, I think this was this was actually their first pick in that draft, I believe. Um, you may want to double check me on that, but um, anyways, uh, he played uh, he plays in the SHL, the Swedish Hockey League. Um, so the uh, and of course that's like a, 
a professional hockey league where he's playing with a bunch of like 30 year olds or um, a lot of players that are a lot older than him. So you have to keep that in mind um, when you when you read those stats, like I always say. But uh, yeah. so in 2018, 2019 year, he was on loan for the Timra Ikes, I guess, IK. Um, yeah. And he had 21 points in 45 games, so that's pretty good. Um, and then uh, I guess he played in the relegation playoffs where he had eight points in seven games. So I guess he comes in clutch there. Oh, by the way, I think I said Philip Hallander is his name. Um, yep. And uh, I believe on uh, I believe on uh, the the cap friendly page he's listed as a center, which is oh, interesting. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Well, Hockey News has him as a left winger, so. I don't know. Yeah, that that would make more sense because good luck trying to find a spot with Crosby and yeah. Malkin. I mean, he could be a third line center, maybe. But maybe. Or, yeah, that's also possible. That that is a need. Um. Um, and then uh, this year he's played for Luella, um, on loan as well, and he had fourteen points in twenty seven games. Um, and I guess he doesn't play in the World Juniors for them on this on the Swedish team, but. Um, yeah, it seems like he, uh, this year though, like 14 points in 27 games, that's not bad. Um, and I'm, I'm reading here on hockey news that he played a key role for an excellent Luela team. Um, he's sturdy, protects the puck, wins boards, battles, and skates well. So, um, so yeah, and I guess he also has some injury history, which, um, it's like, could you find a better team for him? Maybe the Ducks, but it seems like the Penguins always have trouble with injury. So, so there's that. But um, um, and he also, I guess his um, offensive upside is isn't limited, but he's more of a two-way guy. Um, so, uh, so that's also another thing to to keep in mind with him. But uh, yeah, I think. Uh, this guy could also be good. Like we said, you know, the Penguins do need some wingers help. Um, he may not, he doesn't seem to be as good as a Ligar or Poulin, but that also doesn't mean that he's, he's going to be a bad player either. So I would imagine he'll probably be um, assuming that both Poulin and Ligar pan out. I'd imagine Hallander will be on like a third line role. Um, but he may be able to play with Malkin or Crosby um, and get and get that chance because, you know, why not? Yeah, exactly. Why not Why not have uh, more than one lethal weapon on your offense, on your top six? Um, the four-on-one on this guy, actually, is that he's someone that attacks the net, competes hard, very dangerous in the offensive zone. Um, and it's also a good team player, smart in all three zones. Um, I, I don't know where Pittsburgh finds all these guys, um, but they yeah. seem to do a pretty good job of finding talent where people least expect it. And yeah. the kid's only 19 years old. Let's not forget that. So um, definitely a lot of room to grow uh, playing in a league amongst men as well. Um, the numbers are pretty decent. Um in terms of international success, um, he, he's he's had a little bit of that uh, as well. He played uh, for Team Sweden at the Holinka Gretzky Cup, 
Um, Sweden won the bronze medal the year he did that. He had three goals and one assist spread over five games. Um, and uh, he, he he also helped uh, Timra IK go from the Elsbeck the Alsvetskin league um, to um, the SHL. They got promoted and he was a big reason why um, they were headed to the relegation round a year later, but um, relegation and promotion for, for, for most teams that aren't really established, it's, it's not easy to, to maintain that level of success. Uh, so when you are able to get into a promotional stage it's a big deal and yeah. uh i'm sure that's good experience for hallander um and maybe that's part of the reason why uh he was loaned to lulea hf uh for this year where he played more shl hockey and uh continued to uh get better as a player um the points per game went up which is good and i'm sure they'll continue to go up um but at some point even though he's played in a league amongst men, he will probably need to get used to the North American game. So that means yep. at least a year of AHL action, uninterrupted NHL, AHL action, maybe two years. We'll see. It depends. Um, but uh, again, unless you put him on the wings, the best job he's going to get is a third line center. And, and even then there's Zach Aston Reese, there's Teddy Bluger, there's Nick Bukestad, there's yeah. Jared McCann. There's a lot of depth pieces that have more NHL experience. But I think the upside is there for Hallander to uh, at some point get over the hump and uh, land a decent role on the Penguins or another NHL team. Um, but um, I, I, I like what he provides. Uh, the fact that he's effective in all three zones um, – definitely gives him an edge over someone who's mainly offensive focused. And there are a couple of guys in the depth chart that could give him a run for his money. Guys like Jordy Bellarive, who had a decent WHL career, Sam Maletic, who had a decent junior career, uh, Justin Almeida, who had a very, very good season in the WHL a few years ago. He had, uh, I, I believe he had, over 100 points, um, even over 110 points uh, in his final WHL season, and he had a great year before that. But similar to J, uh, to another WHL player that we might talk about later on, in his first two to three years, it was a feeling-out process. He didn't come anywhere close to lighting the lamp um, for – to, to even a respectable amount. Like, I don't think this guy even had like 20 goals to his name before like his third WHL season. And it was only then when he really caught fire. So while his overall WHL resume might be good, uh, Justin Almeida is, might be one of those like projects. And if you take a look at his numbers in the ECHL and his numbers in the AHL this year, they haven't been too promising. So um, I think Hallander probably has a better shot um, at making the roster than Justin does. We'll see. Um, yeah. But if he does make the roster, um, he's going to earn his spot. Yeah, I imagine he'll be on the wing side, which is good. I, I, I forgot to talk about where I see him on the team. I'd imagine he'll be um, – it'll, it'll probably take some time. He'll probably – go over to Wilkes-Barre Scranton maybe next year or something like that. And, um, and then you can see what you have there. But, um, 
maybe maybe we'll see him at, uh, play a couple games this year and then go full time the next the year after that or something like that. Um, all right, uh, and then the next guy I have on my list, um, and this is a guy that, um, or just this position. When <laughs> think of the Penguins and their biggest weaknesses, yeah, we just talked about like their wings wing situation. Um, like it's not in great shape, but it, it's decent. It's still, you know, they have Jason Zucker, they have Jake Gensel. Um, so they, they'll be okay more or less, but their defense, um, is kind of, um, a little bit, um, in disarray. Uh, like sure you have Chris Letang, um, and he's a really good defenseman. Don't get me wrong. Um, but he often gets injured. Um, and it seems like, uh, as, and then you have John Marino, who uh, had a pretty good uh, rookie year this year. Um, a really good rookie year, considering what his expectations were. But because of those expectations, uh, we don't know if he can replicate those next year. Or, you know, if there is going to be a playoffs, we don't know if he'll be as good um, next season, even still. So he's kind of, uh, where he has a question mark there. Uh, Justin Schultz was good on the Penguins a couple years ago, um, but has kind of slowed down. Jack Johnson is not really good. Um, I'll just say that. And then you have like Brian Dumoulin um, and uh, uh, Brian Dumoulin and Marcus Pedersen, um, who are more defensive guys, um, you know, shutdown guys. So. Uh, they could be decent, and uh, I guess you have Yuso Ricola, which is a pretty awesome name, but um, who knows how good he can be, offensively speaking. Um, and uh, when you look at their prospect pool, the only one that really stands out in terms of defense is uh, Pierre Oliver uh, Joseph. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, but uh, he, he had an okay season this year when he, his first uh, year in Wilkes-Barre Scranton where he had 17 points in 52 games. Um, I've been reading some reports and it looks like he's more of a, like a two-way defenseman where he plays defense like and offense, but you know he may, you may not get a ton of points out of him. Um, but he could still be pretty decent uh, just in like a um, like he, he may not get points on the board, but he'll be good enough um, where like he, in a, like a shutdown role. So there is some hope for them and they do kind of need a defenseman uh, for the Penguins, especially as I've been talking about before, where Crosby and Malkin are um, like their their generational talents and they're exceptional players for sure. And, you know, the Penguins are lucky to have these two guys, but. We don't know how long they're going to be elite for, um, and uh, so their their window is kind of closing in that regard. Um, so they need to like the defense is probably their biggest need, um, and so I wonder I wonder if they're going to put him in to Pierre Oliver Joseph into the lineup right away um, because they kind of need a defenseman in order to get Crosby and Malkin going. And get them another cup. Yeah, now that they don't have Kalen Addison, this yeah. is the closest thing to point, a Chris Letang offensive replacement as they're going to get, even though he plays the opposite side. 
Um, and, and with Justin Schultz on an expiring contract too, it, it makes things, um, even more difficult uh, for Pittsburgh on the back end. The good news is they do have John Marino, who's had a pretty respectable year. Um, we don't know what his ceiling is either. And so like promising young shutdown defenseman, I would put Marcus Peterson in that category as well. Um, but there is decent upside uh, to Pierre Olivier Joseph's game. Uh, he's also um been able uh, to lead some of his teams in in terms of leadership he's been pretty good at that um uh for about 18 months he was the captain for the charlottetown islanders until he got traded uh, to the drummondville voltigeur um so the fact that there's a bit of leadership quality already to his name that's pretty good a guy that traditionally averages between two and two point four shots per game every season um, in his second QMJHL season, he had 39 points. Um, he's posted uh, 40. He posted the 46 points in 2017-18, and then he had a total of 47 points uh, in his split season with the uh, Islanders and the Voltigeur. Um, a guy that can also chip in on the power play. He had um, 20 power play points uh, in his. Uh, second year in the queue, he had 21 points a year after that, and he had uh, 20 points uh, in his final QMJHL season. Uh, this year, he spent most of his time with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. He has 17 points in 52 games there, um, averaging 1.57 shots per game. Pittsburgh's farm team overall, record-wise, it's all right, but they should be worse than what their record is. Um, their offense hasn't been electrifying either. So, uh, he's actually been their second best defenseman offensively. So, um, we'll, we'll see how he does. Um, if they continue to develop him in Wilkes-Barre Strain next year, or if they just bring him in right away, I guess it all depends on what their blue line looks like at next year. Um, and how the cap situation, uh, goes in the next couple of years but um they're they they better hope he's a part of their future um they expect him to be yeah um and then the last thing we're going to talk the last player we're going to talk about is kind of a, a little bit of an interesting player here and it shows you how bad the penguins prospect pool is is because this guy is a he was a seventh round pick in 2019 last year um, so you would think that we could find a better prospect, but I mean, there was like a decent one, I guess Casper Forkfist was an interesting one, but he was injured all year. Um, but, uh, this guy we're going to talk about is Valerie Pustinen. Um, he's notable, I guess, when you look at the elite prospects pages that the Penguins, when you look, they sort the pros all the prospects by uh, points that they've had in their in their respective leagues, um, and Pustinen uh, has uh, the third most points of all Pittsburgh Penguin prospects. Um, and the funny thing, and of course Laguerre and Poulin, who both had around seventy points this year, so they were the top two. Um, but Pustinen, uh, he had forty points in fifty four games for the Liga, um, I guess he played for the team HPK, um, which is interesting. Um, but the year before that, 
Um, he played for Liga, and he had 13 points in 47 games. Um, and he also played in, for Finland in the under-20s as an 18-year-old, mind you. Um, and he had three assists in six games. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he, uh, he had uh, 40 points in 54 games, so that's a big upgrade from what we've seen out of any of these guys. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting that I didn't realize that he was a, a, a seventh-round pick. Um, I imagine maybe it has um, something to do with the fact that he's 5'9", um, and weighs 183 pounds, so that's probably a big reason why he, people were scared off. And he's also an overager, where he's 20 years old, um, so that might be another reason too. But um, I don't know. It's like uh, I guess he just you never really know with all these like short guys. Uh, it's it doesn't seem like height is ever like has been less of an effect in the league this year and in years past, but um, like they have in the, in the previous couple of years, but, um, or it's like gotten better in terms of size where it's not as, this game is not as physical as it once was. So maybe he does have a chance to be in the league because of his height and his weight. But, um, but it, it does seem like he has at least skill where he's putting almost a point per game in um in a top league like the Liga, um, so so he could be good, but I would like to see more out of him before I start like, um, getting really excited about him, um, for sure. He has a cool name though. I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah, uh, very cool name, and like uh, Poulin can also play left wing and right wing, so yeah. there's a bit of flexibility there that uh, Pittsburgh has. And- that regard um now he was a seventh round pick this past year uh partly because um he didn't really have i guess the numbers at an elite level like he was he was always right. putting up respectable numbers in the lower tier leagues and um and he was he was also doing pretty well internationally as well um they, they i guess they took a flyer on him uh, this year, uh, in 2019, um, figuring, okay, 10 goals in his first 47 games in the Liga, yep. uh, league where men play, you know, th- this, this kid could be something. Let's, let's take a chance. And, you know, like what, what are the odds, you know, that a seventh round pick is the difference between a Stanley cup or not, you know, or a playoff appearance, like seventh round picks. It's, it's just a, throw something at the wall, see what sticks. You're not expected to get hits every single time you draft in the seventh round. So yeah. why not take him and see what happens? And this this is a gamble that could actually pay off for Pittsburgh right. uh, when we look back uh, because in just his second full season of action in the Liga, his second pro season, he gets 40 points, which which is astounding to me um, for a guy they took in the seventh round, probably would be taken in the middle rounds this year if he was still available. Um, But yeah, I I really like his upside there. Um, It'll be interesting to see how he follows it up. He ranked 30th in total points, 27th in goals and 35th in assists uh, amongst all players in the league of this year. 
Um, and he also won gold with Team Finland at the, the World Juniors with those three assists in six games. As Brett mentioned, like um, Philip Hallander, he is probably going to have to get used to the North American game, spend a year yep. or two in the AHL, maybe three. We'll see. And uh, at that point, he will get his chances. But by then, Crosby and Malkin will likely still be around. And um, his, his route to getting a roster spot isn't going to be easy based on the talent they already have on the roster. I can definitely see him getting a spot on the third line wing, depending on who's there. We continue to go on as uh, Matt Murray and uh, gets a new contract or Tristan Jerry, whoever it is that they go with, um, they're going to be signing a lot more of their players to bigger contracts, which means even more strain on their salary cap. So they're going to need one of those cheap entry level guys. And uh, this guy could be it. So just because someone like Brandon Tanev is taking up a roster spot or someone like Nick Bukestad or Jared McKinn is doing the same doesn't necessarily mean when uh, like Valtteri Pustinen is ready, they're going to automatically still have a job with the Penguins. Uh, this guy could take one of their spots easily, but it all depends on what he does. Yeah, I guess it, I, I forgot to mention that too. I guess is, is he, it seems like he's going to take a while to actually truly develop. And, you know, of course he has to get used to the North American game. So it could take a while. So I don't think I think it's a lot like uh, the other guy that we were talking about early on this year, like Bobby Brink, where he may he may it may be five years from now where we'll we'll get to see him play um, in the NHL um, and make a difference. And and at that point, it's hard to really project um, out what the what the lines are going to look like. Um, okay, so now we're going to go with the Sharks, um, and they're kind of. This season, they were kind of like the the Ottawa Senators of of the league, where they just made a deep fall uh, from grace uh, for whatever reason. Um, a lot of it, I guess, could be uh, added to um, to just injuries and and all that stuff. Uh, also, another fact is that uh, Martin Jones uh, again not good. <laughs> um, so. Um, there's, there's also those things to consider, but, um, and the other thing, the other comparable to being like the auto senators is that they don't ha even have their first round pick and it's especially going to be tough because it's probably going to be a top five pick. Um, so, so the senators lucked out. Um, they did what the, the senators did what the avalanche, they did to the sharks, what the avalanche did to the senators. Um, and they took their first round pick that's based off of that Eric Carlson pick and they did and the Sharks didn't lottery protect their um, that, that pick because they thought they were going for it, which I guess in all intents and purposes, who could blame them? They have guys like Logan Couture, uh, Joe Thornton, uh, Timo Meyer, uh, even Kevin LeBlanc, uh, uh, Thomas Hurdle. Of course, and uh, and you have Brent Burns and Eric Carlson, who are the two best defensemen in the league. But something just didn't work out. Where uh, Martin Jones wasn't good, they had to fire their coach. Um, then all these injuries, like Thomas Hurdle and 
Eric Carlson are out for long term or out for the season, and then all of a sudden the Sharks are. Couture was a big one as well. Yeah, Couture is another one too. Um, so, um, so yeah, they uh, they were uh, uh, injuries did them in, and also Martin Jones did them in too. So, um, having said that, uh, what's interesting about this Sharks? team or that's different from other years like we know um i i now have co i'm a co-manager with uh this guy victor nuno um and he is a huge sharks fan um and he uh he has kept on telling me that the sharks do not have good prospects um and their prospect pools are always consistently in last every year but I will say, after trying to figure out, like, what five prospects we're going to talk about, I was, like, dreading it just because of all this hype that, like, even the, their own Sharks fan, even a Sharks fan um, isn't excited about their prospects. And I was like, okay, Ryan Merkley, and he agreed that Ryan Merkley was pretty good. Um, but then, like, I look here, and they, they have a lot of good, they have a lot of good prospects here, um, which is kind of interesting um considering that like they're kind of known as not being a strong prospect pool um because they're just one of those teams that are good every year or in the playoffs every year so they never get those high draft picks kind of like the penguins but um but now it seems like they're they're not in bad shape um and we're going to talk about a couple of these guys um to start out so first we're going to talk about uh ryan merkley um, he plays for the London Knights, um, and uh, he has—he's a defenseman, um, and he—he uh, he had this year he had seventy-six uh, points in sixty games. Um, there was a big like I—I I, obviously I th think Steve will probably talk about this more uh, when it's his turn to talk, but um, there was—I remember there was a big deal even that I heard from the States that Ryan Merkley wanted to trade, uh, wanted, was requesting a trade from the Gulf Storm or something like that, um, and or the Peterborough Peets or something like that. And um, I guess there was a big trade. Um, I, I didn't even realize he's on the London Knights now. But uh, yeah, so he has 76 points in 60 games and 61 of those points were assists. So he has he's averaging an assist per game, um, which is uh, pretty crazy um, when you think about it. Um, and that can just show you how good he can be. The year before that, he played for both the Gulf Storm and the Peterborough Peets, um, where he had six, uh, 71 points in, um, I'm doing quick math here, uh, in 40, no, 60 games. 60 or so games. Uh, I'm sure you're going to correct me in a second. 71 points in 63 games. You were okay. close. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> it's actually the, this is the fun part of our, of this, this <laughs> series is trying to do math in my head while you, yep. you have it written out probably. <laughs> um, so, so that's, uh, that's fun. Um, but yeah, and um, the, like the reason why I mentioned the trade demand, and even I've been hearing about it. Like, and I even remember in the twenty eighteen draft where he was selected twenty first overall, that was like a big thing. Was is that 
One is that he's an excellent offensive defenseman, um, as we mentioned before, but like he has some personality issues where he doesn't get along with some coaches or um, he doesn't get along with um, he just has like personality issues where he thinks he's the star. And also he um, a big reason why he slipped that year was because he uh, he uh, he's not great like he uh, he doesn't play defense as well as he should for a defenseman. Like he takes the He's an offensive defenseman in the purest form um, in that he just plays offense, um, which is pretty interesting considering that the Sharks um, have Eric Carlson and Brent Burns, who are two of the best offensive defensemen in the league right now. Um, also, I'm just noticing this too, um, something that I probably wouldn't have even noticed before, um, but... Uh, all three of these guys, uh, Carlson, Burns, and Merkley, are all right-handed defensemen. So, so I don't know how that's going to work um, in the meantime. Um, but I guess the good news for Ryan Merkley is is that because Carlson and Burns are locked up long-term, relatively speaking, that um, even when he does get into the big leagues, he can learn from those two guys and like who better to learn than like two of the best offensive defensemen in the last two decades or the last decade at least. Um, so, so that's good from him from like a mentorship standpoint. And um, like, if he doesn't respect those people, if that's like a, cause he does have some personality issues as, as uh, has been reported. So if he can't like get along with those guys, then there's probably something wrong with him. But um, there is, just looking at his stats and I'm sure you've seen him play Steve but this guy has some talent so there's that de there's definitely some hype around him for sure um, but it may be a while until we see him in the actual league considering um, that Eric Carlson and Brent Burns are probably the, the two best players on the Sharks when both are healthy. Yeah, and I think the worst thing for the Sharks to do is rush this guy yeah. um, because there's obviously a lot of areas where he needs to improve on before he is NHL-ready. The fact that Burns and Carlson are already there, um, again, gives him the amount of time that he needs. Then the next step is ultimately up to Ryan Merkley. So I'll get to what is wrong or needs work with Merkley after I talk about why there is so much hype about him. Um, this guy in 2016 was a first overall draft pick by the Guelph Storm. And Guelph was trying to regain the form it once had a few years prior. They had uh, won the OHL championship. Uh, they went to the Memorial Cup finals. They lost to the Edmonton Oil Kings, I believe, in that final. And uh, a few years later... Uh, they're on the downward trend. They end up uh, taking Merkley first overall. And in his very first season, again, he's a defenseman. His very first OHL season, he gets 55 points in 62 games, leads the team in scoring, undisputed rookie of the year honors, led all rookie defensemen in points. And in overall defensive scoring, he was first in assists, um, or actually, no, he was first assist on, on uh, the Guelph Storm, which is, which is still pretty impressive. Um, but 
He ranks seventh in assists amongst OHL defensemen. He ranked eighth in points. Just an absolute killer. And then the next year, even better with 67 points in 63 games, double-digit goals once again, um, posting less shots on goal, shooting percentage was better. Um, and he goes from 23 power play points in his rookie year to 34 power play points in year two. 32 of those were power play assists. Um, I believe that was first of three straight years where he leads OHL defensemen and power play helpers. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the first of three straight years. Um, so once again, um, a pretty big talent, and that was his draft year. The Sharks uh, took him 21st overall, but a lot of people were saying, well, this kid's a top 10 talent. You know, he should be higher than 21st overall. Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, then we go to the split season between Guelph and Peterborough. He has 39 points in 28 games with the Storm. Uh, then he goes to Peterborough, averages 2.54 shots per game, gets 32 points in 35 games there. Uh, career high, 71 points on the season in 63 games. And uh, once again, 30-plus power play assists uh, for Ryan Merkley. And then we go to the 2019-20 season with the London Knights where he gets 76 points in 60 games, 15 goals, 175 shots, and uh, 35 power play assists to give him 43 power play points on the year. So now we go to why there is so much hesitation with Ryan Merkley. Um, first of all, the reason why the London Knights got Ryan Merkley is, A, they always get their man because they're the London Knights. They're the New England Patriots of the OHL. They're always good every single year. They have that psyche. They have the swagger. They have the brand. Who doesn't want to play for the London Knights? They're always good. The thing is, when Ryan Merkley was traded to the London Knights, a lot of GMs stayed the heck away from Peterborough when they were trying to shop Ryan Merkley. And I'll get to um, that point right now. Um, overall, a point-per-game player in the OHL, why would the Peets want to trade Ryan Merkley after they just got him from the Gulf Storm? Well, Brett, you hit on a couple of points. There's definitely attitude. There's work ethic. There's defensive zone coverage and there's also temperament as a rookie he was a minus 41 even as golf was getting better he was a minus 29 and part of the reason is because he wasn't as engaged on the defensive side of the puck as he was on the offensive side he would just be hungry to make something happen offensively but defensively sometimes i'm being told he was just gliding back not really moving his stick not moving his body just gliding back and maybe trying to cut the angle or something like that. Like, he wasn't really engaged defensively. Um, that brings us to the 2019 deadline when uh, Peter Bro acquires him from Guelph. What happened after that was the hockey offseason comes and goes. Peter Bro's season is done after five games. They were around one exit. They didn't want Ryan Merkley back. So when the 2019-2020 training camp begins, they leave him off of their roster entirely. 
and they basically tell him, we're finding a new home for you. Don't bother coming back here. We'll let you know when we find a partner. And that partner was, of course, London, because they can make anybody good. They can assemble a team with basically anyone. Um, so he goes to London, has a good year. Uh, and part of the attitude issues um, was on the ice. And he appeared to be, according to an Oshawa season ticket holder, when and saw Ryan Merkley play with Peterborough, he appeared to be uncoachable, someone that put himself ahead of the team. Uh, sometimes there would be lots of yelling at his team. Sometimes he was spotted arguing with the refs. Other times he was breaking sticks. Sometimes he just flat out gave up. And this happened in Peterborough. This happened in Guelph before he got traded. And the funny part is after Guelph traded him and went all in at the deadline by getting all these other pieces, they won an OHL title without Ryan Merkley. (laughs) After Peterborough got rid of Ryan Merkley, they were one of the best teams in their division. Probably would have been the best if it wasn't for some team called the Ottawa 67s who continued to be dominant. Uh, but that's another story for another day. And his coach in Guelph, George Burnett, has been around this league for 20-plus years. He's coached some very good teams in Belleville when the Bulls looked unbeatable. He has dealt with a lot. He has seen a lot. If he can't coach Ryan Merkley, that's a red flag. And if a team wins a championship without you, that's another red flag. So the plus side for Ryan Merkley is the Sharks are kind of a team that doesn't matter what happened in the past. As the show with Evander Kane, they were willing to commit to him long term. For Evander Kane, went to San Jose. There were question marks about... Uh, his character off the ice, uh, that maybe he was a PR nightmare for some teams. But there haven't really been any issues that have surfaced since he's gone to San Jose. So the hope is that maybe San Jose can turn things around. They can get Ryan Merkley on the right path and change his perception of playing hockey a little bit. That doesn't sacrifice his offensive side of the game but just makes him a better teammate and a better player all around. The one concern that I have with the Sharks as a whole is their character, though, because I remember specifically one time, and maybe I've mentioned on the podcast before, there was one time after an overtime loss where there was a lot of chuckling in the dressing room. Just like, you're you're not doing well, you just lost an overtime game where you needed two points. Maybe it's not what they were doing, but maybe it'd be perceived as just brushing off like, ah, you know, it's another game, right? So I'm I'm kind of curious as to what the Sharks' game plan is because they're trying to get a very talented guy, trying to turn it around a little bit and, and make his character better. Meanwhile, there might be guys in the locker room they have right now where people are questioning their character already. So I'm almost wondering, okay, do the Sharks have the right pieces, not just Ryan Merkley, but do they have the pieces right now to be a contending team? And can they maintain good character? Because there have been times this season where the character wasn't there. And I, I think Logan could 
big part of developing that character. Eric Carlson and Brent Burns, same deal. That right. team character is something that Joe Pavelski brought that I think they miss more than they realize. Yeah, that is a good point. Because, like, at the time when they drafted Ryan Merkley, we were thinking, like, oh, like, you know, these are the Sharks team that they, you know, they have. I mean, at the time they had Joe Pavelski. They had, I mean, they still have Joe Thornton. Uh, who knows if he's still going to be on the team next year. But, um, you know, they had a Patrick, I think, no, Patrick Marlowe was on the Maple Leafs at that point. But, like, they had a bunch of leadership yeah. guys on the team where you're like, okay, you you get this problem child, but if there's any team that can get him to work, it would be the Sharks because you have these leader-type players. But now, considering the Sharks have floundered um, and, you know, you don't have um, Joe Pavelski on the team anymore and you don't have Joe Thornton anymore, it kind of does make you wonder if Ryan Merkley's going to carry over those personality issues into the locker room um, on the pro level now when when you don't have a bunch of leaders on the team, um, especially since they're, they're kind of floundering um, now, um, unlike what expected. And you have guys like uh, Evander Kane, who also has some um, – he had history with uh, some people when he was on the Jets – so, uh, so that's also another um, consideration for sure. Um, all right. Uh, is that that is 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 exit out of Peterborough? I'm hoping was the wake up call because yeah. you get treated once. It's like okay, whatever. It's a fresh start. When they immediately trade you, not even six months after they got you, and they tell you basically don't bother coming back. We're finding a new team yeah. for you. We're done. I'm hoping at that point, that's the wake up call of, okay, something's got to change here. Right. And the second wake up call will be in the NHL where his career is likely over and he's run out of options. Right. You don't get too many strikes in the NHL. Usually as Brendan Leipzig has taught us, yeah. if you use one, you could be done forever. So I do have to. So has there been any reports of him and how he's been in London? Um, I'm not quite sure. And maybe the the thing with the London Knights is he doesn't have to be the guy. Like okay. with London, they had Alec Regula, who was a very good defensive scorer in his own right. They also had Connor McMichael, who was one of the OHL's top scorers. Yeah. London is a place where you can just go there and you don't have to worry about anything else. Just play hockey and pile up points because their team's always good. So um, no news on that front, but I guess that's good news for Ryan Merkley because if you're a distraction on the London Knights and the London Knights don't even want you, yeah, then like then that, that must be the kiss of death for your career because right. London get a chance on pretty much any player. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and then um, in terms of the fact that he's a right-handed defenseman, I also wanted to point out uh, another defenseman that the Sharks have in their system, but we kind of didn't have room for him for some reason. But Artemi Nyasev, who plays for the Chikudami Sagawinis, um, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, 
but yeah, anyways, that, that's did I pronounce it right? This might be. Uh, I'm like so happy right I, now. I I think you pronounced the player's name right. Uh, the T name for Shakutami. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, all right. Well, sorry. I hope we don't get letters. Although we don't get letters anyways. But um, I hope we don't get angry responses from Shakutami fans. Um. Anyways, but uh. Nicev um, has uh, he's a left-handed defenseman, so he's unlike Merkley, Carlson, and um, and Burns um, in that regard, where he's a left-handed guy. And then in the QMJHL, he has 43 points in 51 games, which is not bad. Um, but like in terms of competition, um, it's not as bad as competing with like the two best defensemen in the league. Um, instead, you're I mean, you have Radim Shemek and uh, Mark Edward Vlasic, who are decent in their own right, but um, I feel like he could be a, an interesting player some sometime down the line. But just thought he was worth the mention if we're talking about defensemen for the Sharks. So Chasha, Sasha Chemlevsky is our next guy here. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Merkley. Uh, <laughs> um, sorry, guys. Um been a long day um anyways Sasha Sasha Shemlevsky is our next prospect that we're going to talk about right now um even though his uh his name is hard to pronounce he's an American player um he is uh which is interesting he he was born in California in fact but he I guess he has dual citizenship in Ukraine here according to elite prospects so that's pretty cool um, anyways, we're going to talk about his, um, his, uh, year that he had in the 2018-2019 season. That uh, was his breakout year in the OHL, um, where he had 75 points in 56 games for your Ottawa 67, Steve. Um, yep. so you have some firsthand knowledge on him, which I look forward to hearing from, um, and uh, and then what's even more impressive is that in the playoffs he had uh, 31 points in 18 games, um, which is pretty incredible to have on in, in that regard. And he also did really well in the World Juniors that year too, where he had seven points in seven games for Team USA. Um, so before we get on to what he did this year. Um, I do want to mention that uh, the year before that, he had 76 points for his, in 68 games for the Ottawa 67s. Uh, he also played a bit for the Barracuda as well that year, uh, where he had four points in six games. Um, and then I guess his draft year, which is probably explains why he was a six-round pick, um, where he had 40, uh, 43 points in 58 games for the Ottawa 67s. So it seems like he gets better every year. Um, which is a wise, it's not, it shouldn't be discouraging to find out that in his first year, full year at the San Jose Barracuda, he had 27 points in 42 games for the San Jose Barracuda. So that's not great in comparison to what he did last year, but um, it's still not bad. I do kind of wonder what he is capable of um, if he can, like, if it's going to be the same path that he did in the OHL to what he did in the AHL. Um, but it is certainly different, very, um, very, uh, um, 
promising on on what he what he's capable of. In terms of where he'll fit in the lineup, uh, that's tough to say because, um, you know, you, this is a team that has Evander Kane, uh, Thomas Hurdle, Logan Couture, Timo Meyer, um, Kevin LeBlanc. Um, you know, you still have a bunch of. Um, so they're they're pretty much set in. Um, in terms of like top line forwards, um, so it it would be tough. To, like he is listed as a center, I do wonder if they move him to the wing. That could also be possible. I guess he's he played a little bit of a right wing spot. It says here according to Elite Prospects. Um, so mm-hmm. maybe he'll move to the right wing, um, and uh, so that could be an, a thing. But even still, he would have to compete with. Kevin LeBlanc and Timo Meyer to start. So this could also be a good thing for Shemlevsky because he could uh, just play another year on the Barracuda um, and uh, see how, like, and just improve his game that way and um, maybe take another year, a couple more years in the AHL um, just to just to wait and see. And maybe he'll play some games on the third line or so. Um just to see how he does, but it might be a while for him just based off of how many good, how good the Sharks have been on the forward slot. So um, it might be tough for him to find room in the top six for sure. Yeah, and uh, the Sharks, uh, maybe it's partly because Doug Wilson, the GM, played for the Ottawa 67s. Um, That could be a reason why. Um, But in terms of San Jose's connection with Ottawa, it's run pretty deep. Uh, that's where they got Logan Couture from. Um, right. They uh, drafted Lucas Kaspar uh, way back in the day. They drafted Jamie McGinn. They drafted uh, Jarek Jocelyn. Um, they, I don't, I think they, I'm not sure if they drafted Jacob Middleton. I think they did actually draft Jake Middleton, but or they signed him. Um, but uh, I believe he is also San Jose property. Um, so what, for whatever the reason, uh, Doug Wilson really likes uh, what the Ottawa 67s are all about. Um, and we talked a lot about uh, the 67s and the connection with Sasha Chalevsky, but uh, he wasn't drafted by the 67s out of the gate. He was actually drafted by the Sarnia Sting. Oh. And he was traded to Ottawa in his rookie season because the Sarnia Sting were getting some guy named Travis Konechny. Oh. So Chemilevsky was actually a part of the return package the 67s got when they traded Konechny to Sarnia. Interesting. And um, in that rookie season, he only played 34 games. He had 19 points. He averaged 4.4 shots per game over his five games with the 67s in that rookie season. So he was showing signs of potential what he could become uh, someday for the organization so that was good to see um you mentioned the season where he had 21 goals and 43 points brett he had 12 goals and 10 assists on the power play so wow. half of his damage was done with the extra man maybe that's part of the reason why the sharks were so intrigued about this guy that they decided to take a chance on him in the later rounds um in 2017-18 he had 35 goals and 76 points 280 shots so that's an average of 4.11 shots per game. Uh, we mentioned the year 
after where he only played 56 games, um, still managed to inch closer to his career high 76 points that he set in the previous year. He equaled his total of 35 goals, got another 40 plus assist season, averaged 3.76 shots per game. And then in the playoffs, the only guy with more points in the 2019 playoffs than Chemlevsky was Nick Suzuki, and he ended up winning playoff MVP honors. Uh, so Chemlevsky really emerged as a star in uh, that magical playoff run with the 67s. Part of the reason why I think he could stay down the middle, Brett, is he wins faceoffs and he wins them a lot. Um, as a rookie, he was only 46% successful, but he took just 50 face-offs um, in those five games with Ottawa. In, uh, in the part of the season before that where he played with Sarnia, he won 55, uh, he won 55.4% of his draws. So I guess he was over 50% on the year. Uh, and then in year two, he was 55.3% successful he won 409 of 739 draws, uh, which is pretty good. He then won 541 of his 963 draws in year three. That's a win percentage of 56.1%. And that year where he um, had a much higher points per game and played fewer games his final year, 2018-19, he won 610 of 984 draws. That's a remarkable win percentage of 61.9%. So overall, in his OHL career, he won 57.6% of his draws, and he took over 3,000 face-offs. So that gives me hope that he could be a solid third-line center for them someday. I would like to see, uh, as you mentioned, Brett, a, another full year of AHL duty continue uh, to improve his offensive game. Maybe he's going to have an exciting year, 50, 60-plus points, and just really flourish with the Barracuda because the Barracuda as a team this year, not very good. Yeah. Defense, offense, goaltending, not very good. Their leading scorer is Max Latunov, and he has 40 points in 50 games. Yeah. So um, if San Jose can continue to develop their prospects and Chemlesky can continue to develop as a player, um, a lot of these prospects could have a future in this league. Um, and I think one of the guys with certainly the most upside is uh, Sasha. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I'm reading here on some scouting reports that they're saying defensive play and consistency are the only question marks out of this kid. Yeah. Uh, he has loads of skill and potential, though. So, um, yeah, we, I, I could – he is definitely gonna, uh, going to be an exciting player. Uh, the next guy we're going to talk about is Noah Greger. Um, he actually played a couple of games um, in the NHL uh, before all this stuff hit. But um, So he played 28 games. Um, I guess I'm going to start off <laughs> talking about that, uh, where he had five points in 28 games. Of course, um, that doesn't sound like much, but um, he had 10 minutes of ice time. And what also stood out to me here is um, that he had 50 hits um, in those 28 games, even with 10 minutes of ice time on average. So uh, that's pretty good. Um, so any fantasy players, I know I have, we now have a couple of fantasy hockey friends um, who are listening in who I uh, share this link to. So 
Um, so that's that's pretty good if you're 50. I mean, obviously, 10 minutes of ice time is not great, but um, 50, uh, 50 hits in 28 games. That's that can show what if if that if he can do that in 10 minutes of ice time. That's um, that's kind of impressive. But anyways, um, he played. He also played for the San Jose Barracuda for a bit, where he had 19 points in 25 games. So he did a little bit better than Stremlevsky did. Um, the year before that, or you know, last year, he had um, a bit like Stremlevsky. Uh, had a kind of a breakout year where he had uh, 88 points in 63 games in the WHL for Prince Albert Raiders. Um, and then in the playoffs, I remember hearing his name in the in the Memorial Cup or something like that. Um, I'm sure you're going to yep. talk about that, Steve. But um, where he had 24 points in 23 games, so that's really where he made a name for himself, um, which is pretty cool. Um, and then the year before that, this is my favorite game of doing some math in my head because he played for both the Moose Jaw Warriors and the Victoria Royals. Um, and he had uh, 65 points in 60 games um, for for the... Uh, if you combine uh, what he did for Moose Jaw and Victoria. Um, and then he, oh, I guess he, he played one game for the Barracuda that year, which was interesting. Um, he's another like late round pick for them where he was uh, a 2016 uh, draft pick in round four. Um, so I don't know. I think there's like teams like, as I've noticed that like the Penguins and the Sharks, since they do, they make the playoffs pretty much every year, except for this year for the Sharks, obviously. But um, for the most part, the Sharks and the Penguins make the playoffs every year. And so they have to rely on, like, these late-round picks and try to get these diamond in the rough. So, um, yeah, for Noah Gregor, it's a lot like Sasha Chemlevsky because he's a center. Um, it would have to be uh, his main competition would be Thomas hurdle or logan couture um and um so either couture would have to move to left wing or hurdle would have to move to left wing to make room for him in the top six or he plays on the third line or something um i am noticing though on daily faceoff and this probably is because logan couture and thomas hurdle were both hurt at this time but noah gregor was on the top line and on the top, uh, and on the second line in the power play, uh, before all this hit uh, currently. So um, that could be a sign to come or something, or maybe they were trying to see what Noah Gregor was capable of, and they're just like they're counting the season as a wash, anyways, and trying to figure out what Noah Gregor could be. Um, so maybe that's that was their thinking, and um, he did have uh, five points in twenty-eight games. Um, so maybe he won't have too much offense, but um, I, I think there, I, I don't think we've seen the last of this guy um, when everyone's healthy. Yeah, I'm just uh, distracted by this ice cream truck outside my house, but uh, <laughs> I got the gist of it that Noah Gregor is very, wait, 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 wait. And very There's good. There's an ice scoring. cream truck at 8:40 p.m. right now. Yep, there is. <laughs> On Sunday. Okay. Interesting. Yep. All right. Yep. And in it the middle of a pandemic, often. too. That's... Yeah, it doesn't happen often, but uh, happening right now. 
Okay. Yeah. Crazy. By the time you hear this, it'll be long gone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, did a pretty decent job in his uh, first audition with the Moose Jaw Warriors. Uh, he played in 10 games in 2014-15. He got uh, six points out of that. Uh, and his draft year was 2015-16. His first full season where he had 73 points in 72 games, I believe. He was a top 25 scorer in the WHL and second amongst rookies scoring. So... Oh, and he also had 15 power play goals and 31 power play points. So add that to the list of reasons why the Sharks uh, took a flyer on him in the fourth round. So, um, again, didn't have the resume, um, the continuous success uh, to probably grant him a first-round pick or a second-round pick, but um, the Sharks felt it was worth taking a chance on him in the fourth round. Um, So, uh, yeah, that's part of the reason why... He, he was only a fourth-round pick then. Um, he had 61 points in 52 games the following year. Um, and then he split time between Moose Jaw and uh, Victoria in 2017-18, had 65 points there. Um, double digits uh, in power play goals once again for that season. And then his lone season with Prince Albert, certainly memorable when he had 43 goals and 88 points. Um, also worth noting that he couldn't rack up the shots pretty well um in 2017-18 over 60 games he had 240 shots a total of four shots per game on the nose he averaged 5.38 in his final year in the whl with 339 shots on the year i believe only one other player had more shots uh, than noah gregor did um that season too so that just goes to show you how much uh, more shots he uh, like how often he was shooting the puck is, I guess, better language. Um, he played a big role for the Raiders, um, won a WHL title with them, um, got 24 points in 23 games there. Um, he led all playoff performers in shots on goal with 114, an average of 4.96, so that's uh, just under five. Uh, and then in the Memorial Cup, Prince Albert was a quick exit. They only lasted three games. But in those three games, Noah Gregor had two goals and three assists, um, arguably their best player by far. Uh, 20% shooting success rate, that's pretty good. Um, the one knock on Gregor that Chemlevsky has the edge on is faceoffs. Um in terms of proper faceoff tracking, uh, that 2017-18 season, I believe he won a total of 48.6% of his draws. Chemlevsky was over 50 for pretty much all of his OHL career. Uh, and in his final WHL campaign, uh, Gregor actually did worse in the dot. He uh, won 47.7% of his draws. Even in the playoffs when Prince Albert won it all, he was under 46%. So um, that might go against Noah. But he has shown at the NHL level, and he's shown at the AHL level, when put on a line with good players, he can do some damage. Uh, he had 19 points in 25 AHL games. Uh, three of his seven goals came on the power play there. And uh, he struggled early on with the Sharks, but uh, it should be noted in seven games in quarter four he got two goals and two assists um his power play time was up significantly 
he averaged 1339 per game prior to that it wasn't nearly that high and uh, his linemates then were Evander Kane, Logan Couture, and Kevin LeBanc. So you put him in front of top six talent, he's shown that he can put up decent numbers. So I think if he gets the top six reps, he could be something. But again, the question's going to be if he plays on the bottom six and he can't give you results, um, how long is he going to be on the Sharks? And And that's ultimately the question that they're going to be looking for down the line is we know what we're getting out of guys like Insure and Thomas Hurdle, but we need those bottom six guys to produce even if they're not in power play situations in the top six often. That's going to be the real task for Noah Gregor is can he produce decent numbers no matter who's on his line? That's going to be the big question. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Um, so uh, this next guy, um, I actually, uh, you've seen a bit of Sasha Chemlevsky. I've actually seen a couple of this guy, this next guy's games. Uh, this is John Leonard. Uh, he plays for UMass Amherst. Um, and they occasionally play uh, Northeastern or BC. So I actually got to see him, I think, uh, play against uh, Northeastern, and he got like two goals, and I, and then immediately he was on my radar. But I, uh, I imagine he's not on too many people's radar uh, ever since. But um, the reason why I am including him now um, is because uh, he, uh, he had the uh, leading. He's the leading goal scorer in the NCAA with uh, 27 goals in 33 games, which is uh, pretty uh, pretty cool, um, I believe. Actually, uh, he ties with someone else as well. Um, or actually, the next yeah, closest. For, for those curious, um, that is a goals per game average of 0 0.82, which in the NCAA yeah. is nuts. Yeah. And uh, the next closest guy is a guy I never even heard of. Um, he had 23 goals in 37 games. Griffin Lawren, uh from North Mi Northern Michigan University. But anyways, uh, yeah, he uh, he also had a point per game, uh, more than a point per game in the NCAA this year, uh, where he had uh, 37 points in 33 games. Um, the year before that, he had uh, 40 points in 40 games, but 16 goals. Um, and then he had 28 points in 33 games his freshman year. Um, so uh, so it seems like he progresses ever so slightly every year. Um, so that's, that's good to hear. Uh, he's another one of those guys that was drafted in the sixth round. Uh, I think, uh, did we say Chemlevsky was a sixth round pick? I think it's either him or Craig. Yeah, I believe Chemlevsky was, a, a uh, let me take a look because I actually do have where he was drafted here. Okay. Uh, Sasha Chemlevsky was drafted. Was fifth, yeah, six, six round, twenty seventeen. Yeah. I could look it up too, but <laughs> that's what I thought. Um, I also said it a bunch of times too. Um, anyway, so it's another six round pick, but this is uh in twenty eighteen. Um, so again, like the Sharks, um, are in relatively good shape on the 
He's a left winger, um, so they are in kind of good shape with Evander Kane um, in the mix, and I guess they also have, um, I don't know, I guess they're in, that's about it. I thought, for some reason, I thought um, Kevin LeBlanc was a, was a left winger, but I guess, or Timo Meyer was a left winger, but never mind. Uh, so uh, he could he could slot in nicely, but um, again, I, I know that, uh, since he has this is this has been by far his best season this year. Um, I kind of want to see him do it again, either at UMass Amherst or maybe see how he does in the AHL. Um, so uh, I I would like to see it just a little bit more out of him, just to make sure that he's okay, like he's good. Um, he's also five eleven. Um, and uh, 185 pounds, so that's probably another reason why he wasn't um, a top-round pick, um, other than the fact that he had an okay uh, season um, his draft year. So, um, yeah, it's uh, he is definitely something someone to look forward to in the meantime. Yeah, wasn't I? I came across him, but uh, he he really wasn't written down on. A list of guys to watch for me so um yeah props to you for finding him and then i looked at his stats and just like okay i see why <laughs> yeah. i see why Brett included him here um he can score and he can shoot the puck a lot again one of those guys that can really rack up the shots um which san jose is known for doing they're one of those teams that likes to play a run and gun offense that really piles on the shots doesn't give you too much either um, in his rookie year, he averaged 3.42 shots per game, 13 goals on 113 shots, uh, four power play markers as well, and even scored three game winners while doing so. Um, what really stood out to me was his first nine or ten games. Um, I believe, he, yeah, he started the season on a four-game point streak. He got his first point in his first game. Uh, in his third game, he got his first two-point game. Then his fourth game, he got his first three-point game. And in seven of his first nine games in the NCAA, he got a point. Um, so over that nine-game span, he had four goals, six assists, 29 shots on goal. Later in the year, he had another point streak. That one won five games. So a pretty good introduction. Uh, the season where he had uh, 40 points in 39 games, he averaged 3.21 shots per game, down a little bit. Oddly enough, won 55.5% of his draws. It says he's a left winger, but he can yeah. also win the odd faceoff oh, if you put him in that scenario, which is interesting to note. Um, there were, there was, I was also looking at when, whenever there's a prospect that averages a lot of shots per game, I take a look at okay, how many shots has has he gotten per game? Like, how many games did he get five shots? How many did yeah. he get six or seven or ten or whatever? And um, the four and one on John Leonard in year two uh, in the NCAA, he recorded at least five shots in nine of his 39 games, which isn't too bad. Then you get to his bananas season where he averages, like I said, 0.82 uh, goals per game where he gets 27 goals in 33 games. That season, he opens the season with seven shots in his first game. Second game, he gets six shots. Third game, he gets seven. So over that three-game stretch to open the season, 
he has 20 shots combined in those three games. His first 10-shot game happened in game number nine of the campaign, a 4-3 loss to Boston University. Uh, then he had nine shots against the University of Denver, which, as we mentioned already, is very, very good. Yep. Um, and then against UMass Lowell, he had 11 shots. That was in his 24th game of the season. So overall, in 12 of his 20, uh, in 12 of his, uh, uh, I guess, 33 appearances, um, he had at least five shots on goal. Um, and there were several other games where he had four shots on goal. So in about like half the games he played in, he had four shots or more. So it was quite the year. And uh, he, again, did pretty decent at winning faceoffs too. Um, so I definitely like the flair of John Leonard offensively, the fact that he can shoot the puck and he can score a bunch. Uh, definitely bodes well. In terms of prospect depth, there's quite a bit. In terms of actual roster depth, I think he could probably beat out Marcus Sorensen. He could probably beat out Melker Carlson and Lucas Rattle. So you're looking at potentially a future second-line option on the left side, which is pretty good for San Jose. Yeah. Um, but like I said, there are a lot of prospect options that could fit that spot. Um there are a couple of wild cards, but there are two that intrigue me the most. There's this Danish forward named Joachim Blykfeld, mm. and he's third in Barracuda scoring this year with 16 goals and 32 points. Um, last year, he had 53 goals and a league-best 114 points in the WHL. At worst, he could average 200 to 230 shots a year. At best, over 340. Right. So he's a guy to watch. And there's also this kid named Jaden Halbgawax, who spent his entire WHL career with Moose Jaw. Uh, Blykefeld spent his entire career with the Portland Winterhawks. And Jaden is one of those wildcard prospects because I think in like parts of two to three seasons, he had 19 total goals to his name. And then 2016-17 rolls around and he gets 50 goals and 101 points in the WHL. And after that, just when you thought he was done, he erupts for 70 goals, a league-best 129 points, and 27 goals on the power play alone. So he could be an interesting prospect to watch. I believe uh, him and Blyfelder won two in goal scoring in the AHL this year for San Jose. Um, the one concern I have with Jaden is there were quite a few – Big name pieces also playing in Moose Jaw at the same time that he was. And he was also getting a lot of power play minutes and he was doing a lot of damage on the power play. So the two questions I have about Jaden is, can he do that at even strength? Right. And also, how much of an impact were those guys on his numbers? Um, because there are a lot of top 10 scores on Moose Jaw at the same time he was playing for them. So um, there are a bit of questions with Blightfield and Halbgawas, but they could turn into something if, if, if the cards land in their favor. Um, but I, at the moment I would give John Leonard the edge just in terms of the upside. Yeah. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if all three guys end up landing gigs on the Sharks someday, especially with their cap situation. They could use a bunch of entry-level uh, guys in the lineup. 
I thought you were going to mention Jonathan Dalim. Uh, that's another yeah, left he, he's another one too. Um, yeah. I think he's more of a project than Halpgawatz is because yeah. he was in the Sense system for a bit, then he got traded to Vancouver in right. the infamous one for one with Alex Burrows. Right. But then he got, then he went to the Sharks, and you're just thinking, okay, um, is there something wrong here? Is right. there something we don't know? So well, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Jonathan Dallin, but yeah, I, I guess you could count him too. He's probably another wild card. Yeah, I was looking here. Like, he had 77 points in 51 games in the Al Svenken League, which isn't even the SHL. So I wonder yeah. what's going on. But then I look here and he had like uh, 20, uh, he had like 30 ish points in 57 games last year in the AHL. So. Uh, he could be decent, I guess, too. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I guess Victor had prepared me that the prospects, the prospect pool wasn't as strong as other teams were, um, but, like, other than Ryan Merkley. But, like, when you look at all these players, you're like, oh, these guys could be decent. But I, I can sort of see what he's saying in terms of, like, uh, it's hard to find room for any of these guys um, in the long term just because... There, there's a bunch of pro players on the team, but I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, they're, yeah. and they're all committed long term as True. well. And I mean, and that's the other thing too, is like, because like, what if the sharks stink this, this next year too? Like you can't mm-hmm. really say it's, it's just like, you have to do something then at that point. So then you're, um, so then they, they really have to, um, hope that all these prospects do well too so case in point and and to harken back to your previous point as well the the fact that the barracuda haven't been doing as well either it's one thing if your nhl team is sucking it's even worse if the team in the level below where you're developing your future prospects is also doing just as bad as you are yeah and also not to mention that um, they don't have their first round pick this year, so they can't even yep. be rewarded, quote unquote, for their bad season. So, yeah. um, and they're going to have to live and they may, and that pick may end up being Lafreniere or uh, Byfield. So that would be, um, mm-hmm. they'll probably have to live with that for the rest of their lives. Um, yeah. but Case in point, um, they do have to rely on their prospect pool, and a big reason why the Sharks were struggling all these times was because Martin Jones is not a good goalie. <laughs> um, so I don't know how to phrase that well enough, but he just hasn't been up to standards. Um, but uh, this might actually be the first prospect we're going to talk about who just got signed uh, to a team um, while we were doing this, because this was a couple of weeks ago, but the Sharks signed this guy, Alexei Melinchuk, which I'm, I'm just rolling with that. That's how you pronounce his name. Um, and uh, uh, so I hadn't heard of him before, but apparently he played pretty well uh, for in the KHL this year. Um, where So this year he played for Ska St. Petersburg, which is a well-known KHL team. Um, and, si- and in 16 games, he had 1.68 GAA and a save percentage of a, a 930. 
um, in those 16 games. Um, I guess he also plays in like he also played in the minor leagues in the Russian league, uh, where in eight games he had 1.95 uh, GAA and a save percentage of 9.25 um, there. Um, and uh, and the year before that he uh, played. Um, in 30 games in the VHL, which again is the minor leagues for the KHL, uh, he, in 30 games he had 1.73 GAA and a save percentage of 9.24. Um, so uh, obviously, 16 games is a small sample size uh, for for even especially a goalie uh, for any player really, but um, especially a goalie. But it's it's hard to like. Um, to knock uh, uh, below two GAA um, when this kid is uh, 21 years old and stuff like that. So um, I, I obviously I want to see him play a full season in the KHL before we start announcing him the goalie of the future. Um, in the meantime, the uh, when you look at the Sharks goalie prospects, it's like, yeah, uh, Aaron Dell is going to be a UFA uh, this season. I think Martin Jones has a couple more years left on his contract. Um, but you have um, Zachary Emond um, from Ruin Naranda's Huskies on the QMJHL, who has a 908 save percentage and a 3.16 GAA in 53 games. So that's not good. Um, then, um, and then like Joseph Corner, who is on the San Jose Barracuda, um, and he has an 891 save percentage and a GAA of 3.11. Like all these, I, I guess I could talk about like Andrew Shortridge, um, or, uh, Mike Robinson, but all these guys have below 900 save percentage. Um, and so... Um, so Alexei Melianchuk may end up being their savior for the Sharks in terms of goalies because they're in desperate need for a goalie, um, and he probably won't even be in the league in a couple of years, but um, they need a goalie, like, really badly. So um, that's, uh, yeah, they're, they're in uh, desperate need. So I felt we would be remiss if we didn't address that situation because Martin Jones isn't the answer. Um, I guess they could try to get someone in free agency, although they don't have a ton of room there in cap space, but um, they're kind of in trouble in <laughs> considering that uh, Martin Jones just hasn't been as good as we all thought he could be. Although I called that Martin Jones wasn't going to be good. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I overestimated um how good J martin jones was gonna be i thought he was still gonna be decent but yep. he hasn't even been decent or and, average this and year i should either. i should mention that i didn't think he would be this bad but uh, yeah yeah well we should also include the fact he has a three-team trade clause remember uh, that yeah. um so that's even worse the yeah. fact that you're limited to where you can trade him to begin with and a lot of NHL GMs would be like, wait, uh, we're trading to get Martin Jones. Why? Right. To do you a favor? Um, no. Yeah. Thanks. Why? <laughs> that, yeah. That's the problem with trading Martin Jones is who's going to want him. Yeah, exactly. So in all likelihood, if they get rid of Martin Jones, it's going to be buyout. 
That's yeah. how they probably get rid of that cap headache. Um, or hope or, that Seattle takes or, them for some reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for some reason. Or just hope that Martin Jones yeah. um, returns to form and is good again. Right. Um, but we, we haven't seen that consistently enough. Um, meantime... Alexei Melnichuk went eight five and one on top of those impressive KHL numbers you mentioned. Four of his eight wins were also shutouts, and he nice. managed to get an assist in the process too. So, um, I guess I guess he isn't afraid to get involved offensively the odd time as well. Uh, they ultimately just need somebody to stop a puck. You know, they need someone to do the job. They need someone to keep the puck out of the net, and if it's a 21-year-old Russian goaltender, soon to be 22 in June, in late June, then then what the heck, you know? Yeah. He, he wasn't drafted by anybody. You, you just basically signed this guy, gave him however many years, a two-year ELC um, at 925000 Even Even if it's just to scare everybody else, you know? If he's not a part of your future... At least you hope it has the effect of, oh, why are they bringing this guy when we have two decent young goalies in the farm system? Right. Or when we have this guy in Martin Jones locked up uh, for a couple more years or Aaron Dell playing as good as he has in a contract here. And I think Doug Wilson is hoping that at the very least everyone wakes up and, and thinks to themselves – okay, they're bringing in this guy to do my job if I can't do it. So I better do my job or else I'm not going to be around here much longer. So at the worst case scenario, this is a wake-up call to the other goalies to, hey, get good, stop the puck, and be a part of the solution or else this guy will be and you won't yeah. and you'll be elsewhere. Um, so maybe that's another method to Doug Wilson's madness is just to wake everyone else up. Um, or they think he's that good and the future goaltender, like I said, not even 25 years old, not even uh, 22 years old right now. Um, maybe he has what it takes to be the solution moving forward. Um, but either way, they have a lot to address between the pipes and, I thought Andrew Shortridge could have addressed them himself, uh, given his solid college numbers. Um, but his debut season in the AHL has been forgettable. Um, yeah. It has not gone well. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, so, yeah, I'm just looking here. It's a, it was a two-year deal um, that's going to start next year um, at nine twenty-five thousand dollars so um so that's not too bad but i was thinking that they would just have him in the khl for another year um so i don't know if i necessarily like the fact that they're they might just bring him over this this next season um just to see how he'd like just rush him into the nhl um especially since he's like a 21 year old so i don't know if that's the best way to manage this guy uh, but um at the same time like there it's not like these prospects are are inspiring any hope for me um either or martin jones so um so i guess we could see him maybe next year but um i don't know if that necessarily makes a ton of sense at the same time yeah 
they could probably get a stopgap measure. Um, that could also be a possibility. There are a couple of decent um, plan B options. Um, I don't know if they'd have enough money to bring in Anton Hudobin, right. um, who's had a great year with the Stars, uh, but there's that also Jimmy Howard, there's Craig Anderson, yeah. uh, Corey Crawford, maybe at a discount, we'll see. Um, but, but there are some options that could provide a bit of at the very least veteran stability behind Martin Jones. So if they can't bring back Aaron Dell, there, there could be another option there uh, that just gives their prospects more time to develop. Um, I don't know if you still have cap friendly open bread. Does it it say that Melnichuk's clause has a European assignment attached or is it just a straight up ELC? Um, it doesn't, it says he's waiver exempt. That's about the only okay. thing we have here. Okay, but it doesn't say he has a European assignment clause attached. Uh, no, but I don't think they do. They do that. I for some cases they do have a European assignment clause. Not in all cases, but some. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, maybe. Oh, it maybe does. That... It does include a European assignment clause. It so, does. Yeah. Okay, so maybe they just keep him in the KHL for another year, like you said, and yeah. at that point, uh, they'll wait and see. Because I'm sure that European assignment clause gives them an extra year. It doesn't burn off a year of his ELC. Right. Um, so it probably would just, the two-year ELC would probably just carry over into 2021-22 yeah. um, if, if they just leave him in Europe for all of next year. So right. it'll be interesting to see how they uh, factor that, but... Yeah. For sure. All right. So this has been kind of a long episode, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, I apologize for this technical difficulties. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's uh, let's go to um, our our. You can catch us on. You're probably listening to us on SoundCloud. We're also on iTunes and Spotify. So subscribe to us there or follow us on Spotify. Um, our uh, Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Uh, hopefully we get hockey back sometime. I'm uh, I'm kind of losing it here, so um, <laughs> I need hockey. Um, just even talking about these prospects, I was just I was just thinking like, oh, is there even going to be college hockey in the fall? Like I don't even because like, a lot of schools are now closing um, mm-hmm. their doors in the fall, and so they're not going to have any fall sports. Yeah, mostly online classes. So now I'm like, oh, God, maybe college hockey is not going to be a thing. Um, So, so yeah, but um, not to be a Debbie Downer. But at least I I heard that they're heavily considering a 24-team playoffs. Um, So that that is exciting, although um, (laughs) I feel like in this it would defeat the purpose. You kind of want less teams than more teams. Uh, that can make it, but it could it could make for things to be interesting um, in the grand scheme of things uh, if you have a 2014 playoff. Uh, but yeah, that about does it for us. I'm Brett Duoff. I'm Steve Elswick. We'll talk again in episode 220 of the Lace Up Podcast. Stay safe, everyone.